Hello there, everybody. It's me, Gary Kidney, the co-host of You've Got to Be Kidding Me on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And I am Liam Jones, my full name, and I am also a part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network as a co-host, but you've got to be kidding me. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. We cover all the drama, all the matches, all the Vince Russo nonsense you could ever want in your life. Have you you heard of TNA? I bet you have. But would it be funnier if two people made jokes over it the whole time? Probably. So if that sounds like fun to you, check it out on this very Voices of Wrestling podcasting network, and Liam will do bits and whatnot. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello everybody and welcome to the Super Jcast. I'm Joel. It is Saturday, the 9th of September 2023. This is episode 272. Uh, housekeeping, first of all, I apologise for my audio quality maybe being slightly more shit than it usually is. Um, I'm at my parents' house on the weekend and I did ask my dear wife to bring my microphone for me. She didn't do that. I'm not blaming her. I probably should have packed it myself, but just stating what happened. So sorry if the audio is uh, more shit than usual. Uh, not that anyone would care at this point. I don't think the audio quality is going to be uh, running anyone off at this point. And okay, so Damon is still taking a little bit of break. A lot of people have asked how he is. He's doing okay. He's fine. He just needs a little bit of a uh, sort of mental health break from the podcast, as we all do from time to time. I mean, I took a bit of time off last summer as well. So um, he's just got a few little things that he needs to deal with. He's okay. Hopefully he'll be back um, next week. If not next week, then very, very soon. But we have uh, a big treat this week because we are joined by our favorite Discord boss, uh, best co-hosts, um, the super... Jcast Hall of Famer herself, uh, Booze Leprechaun. Thank you so much for stepping in and being my co-host today. Ore Sanjul. It's great to what be. What does that mean? Uh, no, I'm, I'm stealing it from a common writer, Den O, which is a form of greeting that one of the main characters always gives. So being a little extra nerdy on a nerdy podcast. Love it. We're going to get right in the weeds this week, aren't we? Because there's not a huge amount of New Japan stuff to discuss, so we can we can do some sumo talk. I mean, we haven't had sumo talk on the J-Cast since you were last on. Yeah. And boy, is there a lot to talk about. Yeah, so anyone who's not a fan of sumo, you can just like kind of mash the fast forward button at this point because uh, we let's get straight into it, Booze, because um, you are very close to taking a massive victory lap on something that you mentioned last time we recorded together, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I guess. I don't know if this is a victory lap that I really wanted to take. And it's basically the status of lone Yokozuna Terra Fuji. Um, Terunofuji's health has not been stellar. His knees, his back, uh, just just about everything is slowly continuing to fall apart on him. So he missed a couple boss shows. Then he comes back in the um, May boss show, and he wins it. And then he's in the July boss show, and he pulls out after like five days. It was just announced yesterday that he's going to miss um, the Basho that starts tomorrow, Waki Aki, 
as it is affectionately known as, um, because of his knees. And the the best part is Kyoto News in reporting it um, as a kind of filler photo in the news article. Chose a photo of him at the last Basho getting the uh, purple cushions, the Zabotons from Sumo Hall rained down upon him after he gave up a, a, a Kimboshi. So I, I, I love the level of petty from the Japanese media right now concerning their very unhealthy lone Yokozuna. I then on Twitter last night in posting that article kind of threw out my prediction that I personally think that if he cannot go in November, he will retire. Um, I think I said just straight up in January before the January boss show. Um, Aramathea in our discord was apparently talking to uh, some Japanese friends after the Terra Fuji announcement and that is potentially the rumor that's kind of starting to, to swirl around is that if he can't go in November, he's either because he's going to, you know, just from a health reason or possibly pressure from the Yokozuna council um, have to retire. And so, yes, technically that would be a, a victory lap for me. Cause yes, the last time we talked, I think I actually did say that I would, I expected him to retire by like 2024. And I think I, I and that would no, and I think yeah. I, so I was just going to say that that will be the first time we're left without a Yokozuna for, for how long? Oh, when is that last time that happened? Um, I would have to let me see if I can do this because the Germans love their databases. So besides cage match, uh, some Germans have put together a reference for sumo that goes back in terms of all the records to like the 15, 1400s. Um, it's insane. Let me see the best way to search for this. Basically the answer is going to be um, in a very, very long time. Have they I just Googled had- it. I mean, you, yeah. you tell me if this is correct. Um, the last was from May, 1992 when Hokutomi retired until March, 1993 when Akibona was promoted. Who uh, Akibona, this is the same Akibona that uh, pro wrestling fans would be familiar with. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That sounds, sounds good to me. Um, so yeah, so it's not very rare. Uh, it's, it doesn't happen very often. I should say, um, yeah, and I'm I, I look at the current crop of Ozeki, and remind me who they are because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm the, the lack of uh, the, as many YouTube options. It was Kintamayama was the one that I usually followed, and he sort of disappeared. I guess he got uh, DMCA, but uh, I didn't follow the last batch as closely as I would normally have done. And yeah, just refresh my memory: who's the current crop of Ozeki, and what are their chances of making it to? The big belt. So the so the la, so the current crop of Ozeki's is Takakesho, Hoshoryu, and Kirishima, who uh, is the artist formerly known as Kiribayama. Those are our Ozeki. Um, Kiribayama is already Kadoban. Because he couldn't get through his first um, basho as Shin Ozeki without having to miss a hunk of it due to injury. And then when he came back, 
it uh, his he, he could not produce a winning record. Takakesho is do do do. Let me. I'm scrolling through the database. Let me see. Uh, Takakesho missed the last boss show, so he is, I believe, also Kado Bond. And that leaves us with Hoshoryu, who is the nephew of former Yokozuna As- uh, Asasuryu, and is Shin Ozeki this boss show, and he and he won the the last boss show to seal his. Um, so basically, like, there's a non a non zero chance that by the end of the next boss show we have zero Yokozuna, one Ozeki, and just a big old mess at the top. Yeah, pretty much. I'm not. <sighs> I, I I think if it's not Hoshoryu as your potential future Yokozuna, and I would, I think if that's going to happen, I think it's going to be 2024. I, I don't think they're desperate. Now, granted, let's say he wins Waki Aki and he wins the November Basho and Taro Nofuji does not look like he's coming back. I, I'm going to say there's a... L- there's a greater than zero chance you could open up January with a shot of you as Shin Yokozuna. I'm putting it at, I'm not, I'm not going above 10%, but if things happen, it's not outside of the realm of possibility. And how do you view this landscape at the moment? Is this like, do you see this kind of power vacuum as an exciting thing with lots of, uh, opportunity for upward mobility, or do you think like, this is a, a landscape starved of anyone at the top who can actually put together a decent run? Uh, uh, landscape starved at the top of anybody that can put together a decent run. I just, I just find it very dire. Um, I want to, I want to cheer Hashoryu on. I, I want to put my stock in him and be okay. You're, you're the guy I'm gonna ride to to Yokozuna. Um, but. I've I've put on that clown mask so many times in the last couple of years that uh, I'm afraid I'm going to get burned again. I also think in a were, were you a fan of um, Asa Shoryu? Because obviously he's a, you know the well, people who don't know he was like the bad boy Yokozuna of the sumo world and did lots of naughty things, which is very controversial. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head what those naughty things are. Um, maybe you can refresh my memory and let us know. Like, is that you know? Did you? enjoy his run at the top and is that sort of familial connection to uh Hoshoryu making you view Hoshoryu more favorably or is that a negative in your eyes or just blank slate for him blank blank slate for him because it's actually very funny in that so some of the things that, like the final straw for um Sumo and Hoshoryu was that oh hey I can't participate in these things as Yokozuna and then he was in a charity football tournament back in his home Mongolia and just just all sorts of insanely wildly disrespectful things uh, you can google it it's it's just kind of pales it, but it's with a show to you I view it sometimes in a way of that separating the art from the artist kind of thing or that there there are sportsmen that are complete personality wise or not people that you would want to say, hang out in a bar with or be friends with because they just are, are raging assholes, but in their actual profession are really fucking good and fun to watch or, or you know, instrumental. 
And Ashoryu is one of those, as kind of one of one of the first great Mongolian Yokozuna. And his fights with Hakuho are are some great things to watch. Jason, so the reason why there's no Kintamayama is because, yeah, so all of a sudden he, Jason, and Nato were getting hit with um, DCMAs. They think it's because um, they were finally, Sumo was finally putting out their own kind of YouTube program for English speakers. And it was, and it was more of, oh, here's oh, is some- that primetime Sumo? Yes. Is that- yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that is the kind of general belief is that because that started popping up is why all of a sudden the three of them started getting hit with DCMAs because um, broadcasters, uh, the sumo broadcasters were completely aware of the existence of like, especially Kintamayama and Jason. So one of the, he does, he's taken a little sabbatical to be writing a book, but there is on the English speaking side, and I can't believe I'm blanking on his name, but one of the, one of the sumo commentators actually did a podcast with um, Kinta and Jason um, previewing one of the boss shows. And that's when uh, Mitakiyumi and Shodai were both debuting and all three were like, oh yeah, Shodai is going to be the next um, Ozeki. And no, and, and so sumo broadcasters were completely aware of what was going on. Um, but all of a sudden primetime sumo pops up on the scene and that's when everybody got hit with DCMAs. Somebody was very, actually two Redditors were very clever and had started an archive project um, independent of one another. And one started, and they both started on Jason's, but one went from the beginning of Jason's archive, which is about um, 13, 14, 15 years old, maybe even older. Uh, so they started grabbing matches from the beginning of, their, of, of that time. And another guy went from, at that time, the most recent and going backwards. And the two of them realized that they were working on the same project um, before everything got ripped down by, by YouTube and realized that by happy coincidence between the two of them, they had the entirety of Jason's archive. So if you actually go to the internet archive, they've uploaded everything there. And you can watch it in all its glory because Jason's got a lot of old stuff. He's got like Ashoryu, Hakuho matches. I think he's got some pre-Yokozuna Hakuho. He's got pre-Yokozuna Haromofuji. I mean, that's how far his stuff goes back. Uh, And then Kintamayama kind of had to show his uh, mask and take that off and go to Rumble. And I think he's putting his stuff up on Rumble, so... Your mileage is going to vary on that. And then Nato just apparently doesn't care and keeps trying to get, uh, just pops up on YouTube. And then Jason's actually back on YouTube too. So, and is. So they're like the, the Kieran RH of the sumo world. Yes, exactly. Keep surviving. But to go back to the original. Like a, like a cockroach in a, <laughs> a nuclear holocaust. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but he's our co- cockroach. So. Yes, <laughs> a little pet cockroach. You know? <laughs> Sorry, Kieran. We like you, really. Yeah. Hey, he's my fellow, my, oh, my fellow Charlton attic uh, supporter. So, oh, we're in that great together. segue there. Great segue because we've got a question from uh, a friend of the show, Nick. He was uh, 
lucky enough to enjoy a drink with before the Ref Pro Show. He says, uh, how does Booze feel about the appointment of Michael Appleton? He was awesome for us at Oxford. You got yourself a good one there, in my opinion. So um, now taking off the sumo hat, putting on your your addict hat, your Charlton Athletic hat, uh, talk to us about Michael Appleton, please. I, mm, I, 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 everyone's learning that I have these incredible capacity for self-loathing and hatred in that I continue to support Charlton Athletic, even though it's a, been a complete shit show of... All right, let, let us know, for, the, for those who are uninformed, can you, in a nutshell, why is it a shit show? What's going on with your football club? Um, we've had four owners in the last five years. Um, one of those owners was apparently the only um, Middle Eastern sheikh that didn't have a pot to piss in. I don't know how we managed that. You got a fake shake. Uh, yeah, I got fake shake. Uh, then I got a dollar store Shad Khan in the form of Thomas Sandgard, who put his fail son in a position of power in the team. His wife was putting out press statements and Thomas Sandgard wrote a um, heavy metal Metallica ripoff uh, cheer song for Charlton that he then wanted to have uh, replace Red Red Robin as a song that the team comes out to um, when they play games at the Valley. Then um, we had Roland Duchatelet, who still owns the Valley, by the way, sold the team, but he still owns the grounds. Uh, that Belgian bastard. And we've got a group right now that's a bunch of people and they've all got little bits of money involved and they fired Dean Holden before the end of the transfer window and I liken it to the to the hot dog guy meme I, I don't know where that comes from but the dude in the hot dog suit that's like I'm trying to find the guy that's responsible for all of this as we okay that is uh, I think you should leave oh. with uh, Tim Roberts which one of my favorite shows so um, let's get that name correct because uh, okay. I love that show it's really good okay but and we're like and they're like oh and he's and well you know we haven't we have you know we've only won like two games out of six or whatever and and we should be performing better and it's like but you all brought in a bunch of dudes during the transfer window that are just loans or freebies and no real ambition. And you're mad at Dean Holden that you gave him like a shit sandwich and you expected some three-star Michelin make Uncle Roger happy egg fried rice? Come on now. Uh, Michael Appleton, I personally don't have a problem with. He's been in four different divisions. Yes, uh, fans at, at, at Oxford um, have all kind of, as, as a group, popped into the different social media posts about him being our new head coach, not our manager, because that's another thing. They're like, no, we're gonna we're gonna go with the head coach model, so he can just focus what's happening on the on the grass, and and I, Andy Scott, as technical director, you know, I, I'm gonna focus on everything else, which I hope works. You know that okay, you're not gonna have to worry about all the kind of backroom stuff. You just worry about these these kids that were were you're being fed to put on the pitch to make a team and you can get some wins and we don't get relegated out of league one into league two. I'm trying to be positive, but I've seen 
it's a bit like sumo where it's just been so much heartache and heartbreak and frustration and you get excited. Um, I, I've lost count of the number of managers, head coaches, gaffers, interims, interims to the interims that we've gone through. And again, the last five years, it's been rather impressive. So, you know, I'm hoping for the best and, you know, I'll support our head coach because I have no reason to think that if we don't succeed, it's not, it, it, if we don't succeed, I, I, I don't feel it's going to be his fault. Um, I think it's just going to be because he's not been given an opportunity for within a couple of transfer windows to get in um, the guys that he wants to get in to play the system that he wants to play. Cause that's been a big problem too, is that we don't, we haven't had really good transfer windows and the last few guys have not even had an opportunity to say to go through two or three transfer windows and to really properly build a squad. It's been a lot of just knee jerk reaction. So, well, we'll see. I, I just, just put, putting that clown mask on, just, just putting that clown mask on. I'm worried that I've really bummed you out before we even got to talking about New Japan with a depressing Sumo talk, depressing Charlton talk. Let's uh, have so a fun question. Uh, Tyler Fornes is a co-host of the uh, Good, the Bad and the Hungry, the All Elite Wrestling podcast on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network, one of the few freakers I too I actually like. <laughs> he says, how would a, a Whataburger spicy ketchup crisp taste? I think, well, well, first off, for those of you that don't know, Whataburger is a... Hamburger chain based in Texas uh, a couple years ago was bought out by some Chicago equity investors. So I think Whataburger is kind of slowly moving across the country. So it's sitting as a competitor to say like in and out and, you know, those type of burger places. And then their thing is they've got all these different condiments and fancy condiments. And one of them is the spicy ketchup, which um, Tyler loves. I'm going to break Tyler's heart when I say I don't like the spicy ketchup. I am actually a uh, creamy pepper fan. So, uh, But I'm imagining that a spicy ketchup crisp is just going to taste like a ketchup crisp, but spicy. Yeah, I think I might may have had some Japanese brand. It was what's the Japanese brand? It was I can't remember off the top of my head, but I definitely had some uh, that were really good, and also some spicy mayonnaise flavored ones, which were sort of a bit like the British prawn cocktail flavor, but you know with a little bit of a spicy kick to it. So I've not tried Whataburger or their spicy ketchup, but I imagine it'll be pretty good. I mean, I am just living in crisp dreamland at the moment. You know, we're we're in the home of crisps in the UK, and my favorites of course being the uh, co-op the sea salt and chardonnay vinegar crisp they're the best i'll take the skin off your tongue but um if anyone wants to send me <laughs> whataburger spicy ketchup I will, I will gratefully accept it and review it on the show and also imagine what a crisp flavor of it would taste like and let you know whether i would enjoy that as well we we can actually make that happen because whataburger has so whataburger's taken their 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 most popular condiments one of which is the spicy ketchup and you can buy that in stores. And I actually, a couple of years ago, like bought a couple of bottles and sent it to Tyler. That is awesome. Uh, and he sent me a load of Buffalo Wild Wing sauces. I think it was shortly before the pandemic, actually. So out of all the things I lost when I was um, 
well, moved from China to Thailand without knowing I was moving permanently. <laughs> All my uh, Buffalo Wild Wing sauces are some of the things that I, I'm very sad about. And also this uh, amazing chili jam that Velki from the Discord made and, and gave me in Tokyo. Oh. I just, just that. That and the cats, of course. Right, <laughs> yeah. Can't be a good tea, but the, yeah, the, the condiments as well. I, I mourn the loss of the condiments. We're gonna we're we're gonna have to uh, as a Discord uh, fix your condiments situation. Yeah, condiment charity drive for Joel. There you go. Yeah, that will be the next campaign. I'll, I'll make a special T-shirt just for it. Okay, uh, right. So we've got like twenty-five minutes. Maybe uh, it is time to move on to New Japan talk. Unless there's anything else um, off-topic you want to talk about before we talk about the wrestling. No, but I mean, I mean, how are you? You've, I, I mean, we know you're in the UK. I mean, uh, are are the kids getting settled in yet? Is is Mally getting kind of settled back in? I, I imagine, especially for the kids, that it's. You know, because they've only ever really known Thailand, uh, except for the, I guess, that last summer when y'all went to visit family. But how how have they handled a a very big move and suddenly not being able to hang out with their friends and the totally different vibe? Hey, thanks for asking. Um, that's uh, they they are loving it. They absolutely adore it here because I mean they were too young to sort of understand that they are leaving Thailand and they're not going to see these people anymore. I mean, Esther's very sociable. She makes friends really easily. She'll just go up to random people and be like, what's your name? I'm Esther. And the, just start chatting to them. Oh, here they come. Is <laughs> the, the first run in of the evening. Uh, no, but they are really enjoying it. Despite the distressed crying you can hear in the background, they love all the nature and just, you know, being able to, explore forests and beaches and parks and things like that um esther has started school she started at the same school that i work at so she is absolutely loving the fact that we see each other all throughout the day because it's a really small school so her first day she was just like wandering into my classroom and sitting down with my year five and six kids <laughs> just be like what are you doing daddy and then her teacher will come running and be like no esther is supposed to be with me in your classroom over here um but it's really cool that we get to see each other throughout the day so uh, that's good. Like my new class are great, wonderful kids. Um, Mally is enjoying herself. So yeah, we're all having a great time. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Yeah. And, and also the time difference for watching new Japan, um, a little bit less convenient than it was in Thailand, but most of the shows are on sort of mid morning at the weekend. So you know, I woke up this morning, had a cup of coffee. My dad made me a, a, a BLT. So I was sitting there, my coffee, my BLT watching road to destruction and, and just living my best life. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh. Yes, thank you. Yeah, you're ruining the podcast. Well done. Oh. <laughs> and see, that's how you know that Abraham is a fap is a happy family right now. He <laughs> said fappy family there. Mally's that's... come back. Mally's back. Yes. Mally's back. Mally's back. It's been a while, hasn't it, since she um sabotaged one of our podcasts? Yeah. <laughs> But I appreciate that that Esther that no matter where she is, she she manages to do run-ins. Nothing stops her. That's right. I mean, that's the the evolution of the podcast, isn't it? it started off with cat run-ins. Now it's it's baby and wife run-ins. So this this is what people are tuning in for. This is what why you tune into the Super J Cast each and every week. I know for a fact we've got one uh, very special new listener this week, and he must be thinking like, "What the fuck am I listening to here?" <laughs> These guys are the. This is the top podcast in the Phantom. Um, we're not. Go and listen to Keeping It Strong Style. They're actually vaguely professional sounding. Yeah, but does Keeping It Strong Style have a porn guy? 
<laughs> talk, talk to us about the porn guy. We, we need to hear more about the porn guy. No, so porn guy, I, I think I've talked about John before. I, I have a couple friends that I've talked about in the podcast before named John. So I have John, porn guy that does porn reviews and was able to kind of get me some, some photos of Riley Reed for Damon back in the day. And then I've got cigar, uh, former cigar, because uh, he retired, uh, John. He's also my my WWE wrestling watching buddy. So, but no, porn guy John is. So I've known I've known that John since like maybe two thousand seven, two thousand and eight, and um, he does many things. But one of which is that he does porn reviews, and he also pays for a lot of of, of porn just on the side for his own personal pleasure. Besides um, the job of reviewing porn. And I've gotten, I've been sent over the years many photos of boxes of of porn that he gets monthly, and it's quite impressive. But he's a lovely chap, and I always say he's a brother from another mother, uh, whose birthday was a couple days ago, and completely no sold the text message that I sent, um, wishing him a happy birthday. So, but I appreciate him popping up and uh, giving my appearance on the Jcast, the Porn Guy seal of approval. Yeah, I mean, if one day we do expand to doing a Patreon, which is never going to happen because I can't even manage to get one decent two-hour podcast out a week, let alone uh, additional content, porn reviews would be right up our street. So it's very much in keeping with the the spirit of the Super J cast. So always good to have a, a porn guy affiliated with a show. Yes. Um, right, tw- 29 minutes, still not managed to get onto any wrestling talk. <laughs> All right, I'm going to make one final attempt here. Okay, so we've got a couple of news items to deal with before we get onto talking about Road to Destruction, uh, which will probably last about 10 minutes because there's not that much to say. So uh, I will let you decide, Booze. Would you like to talk about Farley Dojo or Kevin Kelly first? You know, we, we already started like the sadness train. So we might as well might as well just keep it going with the the Fale Dojo. Right, the sadness yeah, train. Yeah, just yes. just keep keep riding it. And uh, and so and that also then will make Antonio happy. Um in that I'm not dodging him in addressing an item that we said in the tweet that you were responding to that we were going to cover. So yeah, if I've said in the in the tweet that um, we are recording later to discuss da 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 and the Farley Dojo reports, don't need to tweet us saying what are your thoughts on the Farley Dojo reports. It's coming. It's implied by the original tweet. You, you're good. Just rest easy. But I, I guess I should be happy that I didn't get questions about Portuguese football. Cause, cause there is some stuff. I don't know what these questions are about. I mean, there's some about Kevin Kelly, which of course we're going to talk about that. I, I'm going to read this one from Antonio. I decided to join. Plus, some of your listeners also convinced me to do so. To I already let Abari know about it. Personally, feel whole situation is very unhuman. I mean, it's slavery. Question: What's the updates about situation? What's BLF? Pun- oh, okay. No, he's talking about Farley. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What is BLF punishment according your sources in regards to this? All right. Well, well let's get on to talking about it. So, this was a story that um, popped up on Reddit where someone who'd attended the Farley Dojo um, basically took a massive shit on it and, and exposed a lot of the malpractice that was going on there. Uh, the, the terrible treatment that they received at the hands of um, the, one of the head trainers, Tony Cozina, um, the way Farley was basically very 
slack and hands off and uh, allowing all this to take place. Um, the facilities were terrible, just loads of people crammed into a, uh, a house in various states of disrepair, you know, load of people sleeping on the floor, sleeping on mattresses. Um, this is not the sort of tip top uh, dojo wrestling training that you would expect from something that is uh, affiliated and, and branded with, with the line mark. And I will also add that this is not a story that I stumbled across upon by accident you know i don't spend a huge amount of time browsing reddit i must say uh, this was sent to me unsolicited on twitter by well i'm not going to say by who but uh sent to me and i shared it and then i also got another unsolicited direct message from again someone who is in the know saying yes this is all true so you take that for what it's worth i mean i think that that speaks volumes the fact that this is not something that I stumbled across. This is something that various people who are it's related to this situation wanted to get out there because people don't just DM me stuff for no reason. If people share information with me, there's usually an agenda because they acknowledge the, you know, the small role that the J cast plays in the phantom. If they share stuff with us, it's because they want it out there. So, uh, I suspect that this is not, you know, an isolated case of one person who is a bit of a crybaby and had a bad time there. This seems to be um, exposing systematic malpractice where the Parley Dojo is concerned. Yeah, and and if you go in, 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 it's on Reddit, we've both posted the Reddit link, and then I went back to it a couple of days after the initial post, and there's all these replies. And there's a couple other people that roll in there going, oh, yeah, I had a similar experience. So it's ultimately not one, as you just said, not one crybaby that wasn't tough enough. It's a, a few other people rolled in and basically raised their hands and said, yeah, I've seen some stuff, too. And then another person rolled in talking about Jack Bonza um, owing people in Australia money for the Tamashi shows. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was the other thing. So the Tamashi shows, which is supposed to be the showcase of all the dojo talent, apparently mostly filled with um, people from the indies and nobody getting paid for that. So the whole thing just sounds like a massive grift, uh, just a, a boys club where all the money's just getting funneled into the, the pockets of the people who are running it. Just an, it's absolutely shambolic. And once this thing, I, I started to get quote retweets from the Japanese fan base. And I think when that starts to happen, then people in the office start to set up and take notice. So um, I heard that the, the office was investigating to some extent. I mean, I'm not going to hold my breath for, you know, a huge investigation and people being uh, punished or whatever. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, apparently they don't actually have the line mark anymore. Some of the main posts that the dojo posted yesterday don't have the line mark. So oh. I don't actually know how, if they have been officially associated as the feeder school since they were the the new, the New Zealand dojo in, in 2020, so I don't even know if the office is going to do anything. But um, from what I've heard, I mean, every everyone associated, uh, anyone who covers the Oceania wrestling scene, just absolutely zero surprise here. They're like, well, of course, you know, everyone. This is like the biggest non-secret in in the industry over there. Everyone knows this about Casina and um, Bonza and Farley, uh, and apparently a lot of the indie scene guys over there have been reporting them for illegal activity to actual government departments. So this is something that's even going beyond the remit of New Japan for arresting and any reputational damage they may receive um, by association. What I find interesting in hindsight is that 
we can see the genesis of all of this in that Lion's Roar docu-series. It's all there. Which we praise, right? Yeah. Well, I think we, we were we recorded together talking about, oh, this is great, you know, you know, pipeline of fresh talent. What a great job they're doing. Excited to see these guys. And the three guys that um, we were told, yeah, these are the graduates. They're going to be coming over to Japan. Can't find them with a fucking search party. Exactly. And we were sitting there and we were praising it. And, you know, we were seeing Michael Richards' redemption story and – we were all coming away with warm fuzzies, and then we see at the end him. I think it's Jake Taylor and Anthony Villa Andrew Villalobos are the three that, at the end of the series, are told, hey, your contracts have gotten picked up, and as soon as the borders open, you're going to Japan. You're going back to Japan. And it's just great, warm, fuzzy feeling, and it never happened, and... I think you were, I think I, I know I asked you a couple times when they would announce these shows once everything dropped and be like, hey, what, hey, ha have you heard anything about, about when, when the three Folly guys are gonna, gonna pop up in New Japan and we can see them? And obviously nothing ever happened. And I think Jake is doing a show. Um, I don't think it's a Tamashi show. But somebody was saying that he's kind of been on the indie scene and his his gimmick is that he's, he's a real wrestler, kind of almost like a Shibata, I think, maybe type character, just kind of based on his render. And I think, uh, I think Villa Lobos is either doing some indie stuff or possibly not due to injuries. And then I'm not sure what Michael – is Michael Richards even still in wrestling or is he kind of more in that kind of bodybuilding – vein of um, things from now what I, from what i can tell he is still doing some wrestling and also bodybuilding but um yeah no sign whatsoever of anything new japan related materializing it's like we sat there and i can remember there is a whole section in the in that lion's roar documentary about them taking the family that Fale family bungalow and repurposing it into a housing situation and we're watching them load these mattresses in and we're seeing like more than like two guys to a room and none of us thought to raise our hands and go hey this doesn't feel right because a we were just all starved for content because we were all still kind of stuck inside because of the pandemic and we're feeling good because we're seeing these kids develop and I don't know about you, but I think subconsciously, I, I probably just assumed, well, surely they'll, you know, fix up the house and get kind of proper accommodations for, for all these strapping young lads. But then come to find out that Folly can't even feed them. Because did you read the second um, perspective from the Folly Dojo? Did you read that one? I, I think I did, but just remind me, give us the cliff notes for anyone who didn't um, see So I'm, I'm going to scroll down here. Um so I'm going to quote here. Um, when we all moved in to start the intake, there were not enough beds for each person. This resulted in a guy sleeping on the couch for over a week and only getting a bed once another student had quit. The bed that he got to now sleep on was broken by the previous student and never fixed, so he fell through the bed slats multiple times a night. When we asked management if we could get a couple couple foam mattresses for 80 bucks each from a New Zealand store. We were told no. We were then told to search Facebook Marketplace for free mattress and cheap bed bases for beds. 
One student had gone completely broke while training. This is due to food promised when you signed up, and the student hadn't saved enough for the amount of food he truly needed and had to ration his food to barely one meal a day. This resulted in him quitting the intake due to fatigue. Others in the house were buying him meals. Support in the way of food was not offered to the student. The only support he had was that he was, quote, allowed, unquote, to stay in the house until he could get a job and move out. Fale Dojo, allegedly, couldn't even feed their students. Now, I don't know about you, but in all the times that I watched Fale as a young boy in a New Japan ringside, it didn't look like he missed a meal. Looked like New Japan was feeding him three meals a day. And obviously it wasn't the non... And, and we know from stories that both he and Tamatanga have told and others have told throughout the years that training in a New Japan dojo is not a walk in the park. It's not a vacation. And it, it, and it sometimes it could be viewed as in terms of like malpractice or inhumane by Western standards. And I get all that. But again, at least New Japan could feed you and make sure you didn't go hungry. And I'm sorry, if you can't even feed your own students and you're still able to look yourself in the mirror and proclaim yourself to be, you know, a, a trainer for New Japan and to be part of New Japan. Um, I don't know what to say about you, man, because um, you're clearly not a, a normal, rational, compassionate human being if you can go to bed and sleep well each night, knowing that you got young men in your care that you can't even feed more than one meal a day and you make it their fault. I know the dojo is supposed to be tough. It's not supposed to be like a. This sounds like a prisoner of war camp. Like right. it's not like I expected. You're gonna go inside. You're gonna find a bunch of skeletons in there. Like, like, uh, like. At least in prison, you get you you get at least a couple meals a day. They're not the greatest meals in the world, but you get a couple meals a day. And we've heard from from people that you can even get like a nice little bag of crisps. They're getting bags of crisps. And we got kids in the Folly no, Dojo. No, no prison crisps. Yeah. Not even prison crisps for the Folly Dojo bunch. It's just, okay, how much money you got? That's how much food you're getting for the day. Uh, just insane. Absolutely insane and embarrassing. And I guess ultimately that's all New Japan can really do is is take the lion mark off the you know, tell Folly to, to take it off the doors and, you know, all the iconography, if he's actually done that. And, you know, you would kind of hope that maybe they don't renew his contract at the beginning of the year. Uh, I am interested in the fact that we haven't seen Folly for a while. So, who knows? Um, and I would love, I mean, I, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming, like, the LA Dojo guys didn't have to, like, pay for food, Right. Like maybe they weren't getting paid like a proper wage, but they were at least getting paid, right? We don't we don't have any stories of Carl Fredericks having to like steal some whatchamacallits because they can't feed him enough chanko in the in the LA dojo, right? Right. Sorry, I'm just running from room to room because Esther's chasing me. So <laughs> she's trying to get some some sort of fidelity with the audio here. But yes, yeah. Didn't hear that happen either. Um, I mean, just very, very depressing. Um, 
hopefully something gets sorted out either on the New Japan side or if it's like the New Zealand government getting involved. Um, but just really, really shitty stuff all around, um, which I guess leads us to transition onto previewing the next Tamashi show. So first match <laughs> is going to be Johnny Gardner versus Vincent D. No, we're not going to preview the Tamashi. We're not going to watch it. I think we should boycott Tamashi in protest for this appalling treatment. All I want to know about Tamashi is that, are they going to have a couple um, cardboard containers outside the venue to where people can leave off uh, canned good donations? <laughs> oh, Christ. <laughs> Tamashi branded food bank. <laughs> oh, dear. They're just posting through it as well, just like acting like, Nothing's wrong. Nothing's going wrong. Here we yeah. are. Sixth match. Jack Bonzer and Bad Luck Farley versus the Joker and the Thief. We know who the real thief here is. We know who the real Joker is. Oh, my God. <laughs> could, could make That's that a up. bit on the nose, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> the Joker and the Thief. Oh. Spider-Man meme. <sighs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, so more depressing stuff. <laughs> Kevin <laughs> Kelly. So uh, Kevin and at work could not really announce. I mean, he replied to someone on Twitter basically saying that he was wrapping up his time with New Japan. If I remember the tweets correctly, I, I believe he said he was going to be done after New Year Dash next year, um, largely because of family. You know, his wife doesn't want him to keep doing that travel. And I completely get that. I mean, I'm honestly surprised he did it as long as he has done, especially through all the pandemic and everything. And look, if I was in the same position and Tony Khan came knocking on my door with a big bag of money, asking me to do less work and less travel for a fuckload more money, you bet your ass I would be saying yes as well. So I'm never going to begrudge, you know, people like Aussie Open or, or Kevin or whomever for taking that bag and improving their quality of life and getting to spend more time with their family. Um, and look, maybe this is a situation where, this is probably the best thing for all parties. I think, dare I say it, it's time for Kevin to move on and, and take on a new challenge and allow someone else to step up to that role because with all those frustrations and all that travel, you know, it's it's hard to put 100% of your heart and soul and, and love and enthusiasm into the product. And, and I think Kevin would be the first person to acknowledge that, which is, I, I, I would guess, to be you know one of the factors why he has decided to step away. Uh, so we have a lot of questions on this. Multiverse Aces with Kevin's time in New Japan winding down. What was your favorite call or recurring bit of his time in the booth? And who do you think will replace him? Daryl says, Kevin leaving seems like a real punch to the gut as English New Japan fan. To me, he was the glue, the familiarity, the common thread throughout the shows that made a very foreign product relatable. Well, we can't really complain as he was previously poached from ROH. This one hurts. So my questions are, how does this rank among recent defections? Um, AJ Shinsuke, Kenny, Kota J. To me, as a fan, this somehow hurts more. And where do we go from here? Certainly, we need someone passionate enough to learn guys' names. Is Mauro an option? Um, there's another question there, but I'm going to save that for later. I'm not even <laughs> sure I want to talk about that one publicly. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I know, you know, yeah, you know. I know what you're talking, talking about. Uh, and yeah, Antonio wants our, our two cents on that situation as well. So, uh, I, it is very, very sad. I mean, Kevin has been a huge part of the Western New Japan fan. I mean, he's been, you know, the voice of the, the English voice in New Japan pro wrestling since what's it, 2015? He's been doing it. And, you know, I, with great affection, sort of go back and enjoy those early New Japan podcast, um, podcast episodes back when it was uh, Damon doing the show with Colin Miller. And then 
absolutely taking Kevin Kelly to task for his announcing or getting things wrong or whatever it was. I can't even remember what the exact nature of the complaints were, but Kevin with, you know, all due respect to him. He, he, he took it on the chin and was like, yeah, you're right. You know, I need to do better. Where am I going wrong? And he, he improved, you know, he listened to that criticism. He didn't, you know, block them or, or throw his toys out of the pram. He's someone who's always been very candid and very open and honest about the work that he does. And, you know, he's been a, a huge friend of the Jcast over the years. You know, we, we always enjoy having him on at the end of the year to do our Wrestle Kingdom previews. You know, him, he and Chris Chant together, I think, were the best commentary team in the business. You know, I, I would say that as a, a huge New Japan fan, but I really think their work was outstanding. So it is very, very sad to lose him, not just for the, the work that he does on the announced team, but for also what he represents and what he brings to the fandom as a guy who has always been there. He's always interacted with fans. He's always been there to listen and, and take part in the community. And he brought, I think so much more to new Japan than just doing the announcing. So it's, yeah, it's definitely going to leave a huge gap. And in terms of a replacement, I, I wouldn't bother, you know, doing all the wild speculation about already established names in the business. I think just don't expect anything. And then you won't be disappointed. What I what I will say is, if Kevin has any say in his replacement, and I'm sure he does, I'm sure New Japan are allowing him to handpick the best guy for the job. He he is going to find the best guy to fill his shoes, and it may not be someone that you've heard of, but if Kevin is saying this is the guy, then I believe that that is going to be the guy. And you know, with Kevin there to support him with the transition, and with Chris Charlton there, who has come on leaps and bounds since he started. Was it was it back in? 2018 was it the, the King of Pro Wrestling show that Chris yeah. Charlton first did? He, he, he started you know, as translator, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, he he has absorbed so much from Kevin and also from his own diligence and hard work and you know polishing his own skills to the point at which I think he is a, a guy who could help manage this transition. You know, he he can do play by play now. He's done it in the last two Road to Destruction shows. So uh, and of course Rocky behind the scenes. I would say whoever is taking up uh, that role has got all the support around them to be the biggest success possible. And yeah, I, I don't have any worries about it personally. I'm not going to speak to any names on who's going to take over, but if Kevin's involved, then we know it's going to be the best man for the job. But it, yeah, definitely a, a huge loss to New Japan, a huge loss to the community. But, you know, th- things change. Change is not always bad. Um, this is, you know, part of the the landscape of being a new Japan fan. You know, we don't get to keep the big foreign talent forever. They come in, they'll do a few years and then they'll go elsewhere. This, this is what it is. It doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't make it any less sad, any loss, any more, any less of a loss to the company. But this is just what happened as a, as a new Japan fan. It's cyclical. Old guy goes out, new guys come in. This is part of what it is. And and I think we need to embrace that and be open-minded. And um, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what, what it sounds like in the future. ultimately change is not just something that is a part of new Japan changes just the natural orders order of things in the universe. Your, your job is, is one thing one day and then you come in next week and your job may be gone. Your job may now have different details. Um, You could be entirely different industry. Change is just an inevitable part of life. And if you're not, willing to go with the flow and accept that change um 
life's going to be real miserable for you. I agree that losing Kevin hurts. I think Kevin, as, as much praise and flowers as we have thrown at him over the years, and that he has gotten, um, he was what, Observer's um, announcer of the year last year or the year before, correct? Uh, yeah, I think it may have been Excalibur last year, but I think prior to that it would have been. Let, let me check. Yeah. Hold on a second. But while you're check, while you're double checking that, so I mean, we we've thrown flowers at him. I know Dave Meltzer has thrown flowers at him. Other people have thrown flowers, but I think as much as he will get and he has get has gotten, if I can remember my proper English. Um, I'm not sure if, he, if it will ever be enough for what he has done to try and help grow New Japan, especially before the pandemic. And then just the insane amount of work that he did during the pandemic to sit there and sit in his home office and try and record these shows either the same day for video on demand or trying through insane circumstances to try and broadcast shows live for us. We didn't ask him to do that. And we didn't ask him to go through that. And I don't think any one of us in 2020 or in 2021 would have blamed him if he had just thrown his hands up and gone, hey, I just, I've tried, but technology is just not letting, letting me do it. And we all remember those shows. Just, just horrible quality. Chris sound sounded like he was in like an entirely different dimension. Rocky is coming in on like a twenty second delay. Just nightmares. And if he and if Kevin at any moment had just kind of thrown his, thrown his hands up and gone, I'm done. I wouldn't have blamed him. Um, what what was the show where he's got like a wasp flying in his in his room in his studio while he's trying to to, to do a show live? And the fact that the minute that he could get on a plane, he got on a plane and went through the same quarantine that the wrestlers had to go through and all the same protocol so he could be there and call matches live. Um, and then just all the work that he had done prior to that and during that to try and grow New Japan, to make it accessible to a wider Western audience. And even things like going on... Um, to the bat for our favorite clout imp Kieran and his, and his fellow clout demons with gifts. He didn't have to do that. That's not in his job description to fight TV Asahi and be the advocate for a fandom to be able to post gifts. Cause remember kids, um, TV Asahi is legally allowed to do that. And he could have just gone, well, you know, that's, that's Japan law. It just it is what it is. And instead, he fought the fight, just like we fought the fight. Excuse me for people to be able to do gifts. So, and I'm trying to think of another commentator that would have done that. Do you think Mauro would have done that? Do you think Jr. would have done that? I mean, Jr. couldn't even keep uh, Josh Barnett from trying to fight Jay White because he's you know rolling around on the pig ground like a stuck pig after he got knocked over. So I think that we need to, with time, look back on what Kevin did and just thank him for it and for being a calming voice 
especially during the pandemic, one of the questions we just asked or were asked was, you know, what's our favorite calls? I think two of my favorite calls from Kevin, one is going to be the Nakanishi retirement as he's kind of do as he's talking about Nakanishi and the historicalness of the moment. That's just an amazing, go back and watch that. It's actually, actually a really good match and a whole thing. It's one of the last matches before the pandemic started. And that will always sit with me. And the end of Wrestle Kingdom 14 will always stick with me as well. Um, and before anybody says anything, not because just not because Bushi won, but also Kevin's final call and talking about the fact that we've all been through this thing together, but that we've got wrestling to kind of bring us together and to and the fact that, you know, not all of us could be in the Tokyo Dome, but that we were all there in spirits. And it's just an amazing call during an amazing period. And I hope people will, will go back and remember that and listen to that. And that be, you know, hopefully a favorite call of theirs. And then just, uh, just great stuff. I know people don't like a Stastino call. I, I, as, as a soccer football fan, I, I, I know what he's going for and I love it. It's just kind of fun. And the fact that, yeah, he does a Destino call every match because Kevin's calling Matt calling shows, not presuming that every single person has watched this before and knows that, okay, this is like the running Destino. So it's not going to be a three count. Not everybody knows that. And he's always calling the shows knowing that there's somebody that may be watching for the first time. And Kevin's my Chibalote buddy. So we get to talk about Chibalote Marines. And uh, I hope he will have opportunities in the years to, to go over there and to catch some other games and talk about Chibalote some more. And uh, obviously the opportunity to stay home and work on his own promotion because he's got that going on as well. So, Yeah, I checked. He's won 2018, 2019 and 2022 Best Television Announcer. So, yeah, it's good to see him getting flowers there for, for all the hard work he does. And look, even if he's not employed by New Japan after that point, I do hope he still follows the product and stays part of the community. And I think that would be really cool if we could sort of keep Kevin as a fan, even if we're losing him as an announcer and he could stay part of the community. And you know, it would be great to still have him on the JCast from time to time if he's still following the product. And um, I mean, thinking in, in terms of replacement, do you think the priority should be finding someone who knows the product inside out and is a big fan in New Japan, or do you think they should be prioritizing other stuff like, you know, the someone who has, sounds good and has the right attitude and has broadcasting uh, experience? Because, I mean, I, I would definitely lean more towards the latter because if you've got Chris Charlton by your side, he is an absolute fountain of knowledge when it comes to New Japan Pro Wrestling. So uh, whilst I'm not suggesting that the company should be launching into another Lanny Poffo situation, um, I would say that having someone who is a you know, hardcore fan of New Japan Pro Wrestling is not necessarily the priority here. I think there's other skills and values that they should be prioritizing when they are looking for a replacement. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I just want the best person for the job. And as you were talking about, if it just also happens to be somebody that Kevin Kelly, you know, listens to their tape and goes, showing my age when I say tape, but lis listens to them and says, hey, I think they've got something. Because Kevin's also kind of the announcer whisperer. 
I mean, how many questionable dance partners did he have during Strong that he was able to kind of drag to, you know, from the the utter basement to at least maybe the sub-basement, if not higher? So, yeah, I just I, I ultimately just want the best person for the job and somebody with, with the right attitude and that is willing to learn if they're not a New Japan fan. I don't think that's a requirement to to call the product. You know, as long as you know what moves are and, and you're willing to learn and raise your hand at times if you don't know or if you've made a mistake and willing to, to work on things. No, I'm good. I'm, I'm excited for what the future holds and to see what what's coming down the pipeline and you know, so, you know, somebody that can can travel and you know maybe not have the family requirements. Not that I want some sad, lonely individual, you know. The but you know somebody that's able to to kind of put in the work and get on the plane and just just get in it and just get stuck in. And I will say this as well. This might be a bit of a hot take and maybe wishful thinking on my part, but I would really love it to be someone who hasn't gone through that WWE system. Because if you, you think about, you know, most of the major announcers in the pro wrestling landscape at the moment, you know, is thinking Josh Matthews, Matt Stryker, uh, Drama King Matt, what's his name, Matt Raywalt, uh, Kevin himself, obviously, um, and, and AW, there's Taz and Tony Schiavone. Uh, Big Show, Paul White, Nigel McGuinness, uh, Tom Hannifan. These are all people who, if, if I'm not mistaken, went through the WWE system. So I, I would, I've, I would really rather it were not someone who came through WWE, wanted to be a WWE announcer, and then failed at doing that, and is just you know settling for something less than. I would like someone who actually wants to be a New Japan Pro Wrestling announcer. And again, I'm not saying that needs to be a New Japan super fan, but I. I would really like them to sort of think outside of the box and not just pick someone who is already, uh, who's already done it before for a company like WWE. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Somebody that's in it to win it. Somebody that maybe, yeah, didn't go through the the WWE system, maybe really hasn't been through any kind of, either through the impact or AEW or, or what have you. Um, and, and so, in theory, somebody that can grow along with the product, depending upon what uh, the um, Bushy Road's ultimate ambitions are for New Japan in the West, you know, so, somebody to grow with it and to be on that journey together. Yeah, absolutely. So whilst... We'll all be very sad to lose Kevin as an announcer and all the tremendous work that he's done for the community at large. I think there's a lot of exciting opportunities um, for whoever it is who's lined up for their replacement. So um, I'm excited. I think this could be a real positive. And, uh, you know, it it is time for Kevin to move on. I mean, I think sometimes just people grow apart and, you know, not good fits for each other, whether that's, you know, relationships, working relationships. And yeah, it is the right time for Kevin to be moving on and he will be terribly missed by by us and the fandom but uh yeah we look ahead to the future and uh, look forward to what that holds for us uh so let us then move on to discussing some actual new japan pro wrestling 
which has been taking place this weekend. Uh, now, I know for a fact that you have taken notes. I've seen photographic evidence of the notes. Yes. So I'm going to do the, the Brian Alvarez thing and be like, Dave, take us through the show. Uh, so uh, we had a pair of shows. <laughs> yeah, shuffle the papers. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Uh, so we have uh, can- Kantansu. What is Kantansu? Do you have any idea what that is? Is it a drink? Um... It's Kantansu presents Road to Destruction. Uh, I'm going to look it up. Yeah, I was. No, I have no clue. I have none. Uh, I think it might be vinegar. (laughs) Just looked it up. Yeah, yeah, it appears to be some sort of vinegar. So, uh, Road to Destruction is sponsored by vinegar, uh, Kantansu vinegar, the best vinegar you're going to get. They are not uh, sponsoring the JCast. I'm open to that. If they want to sponsor the JCast, I'll take some vinegar. Love vinegar. Had some vinegar on my chips today. What am I talking about? This has gone completely off the rails, Booze. Um, let's talk road to destruction. <laughs> pair, <laughs> pair, of, uh, pair of events from, okay, were they both in Corrigan Hall? Yes. One of them was definitely Corrigan no, Hall. No, they're both in Corrigan. Both in Corrigan yep. Hall. Pretty fun shows. Pretty breezy watches. You know, there's nothing groundbreaking coming out. You know, we will get through it, but just your overall thoughts on Anyone who has not seen these two shows, did you have a good time watching them? I had a good time. I actually thought night one was a little easier and a little breezier to get through than night two. Um, And your mileage may vary on that. I found myself actually kind of falling in. And I started watching night two at about noon, noon, my time. And there were a couple matches in, in the undercard of night two where I was, even after a shot of espresso, I was ready to kind of me, 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 um, through. So, and a couple, and then I was very surprised that night three went the full, night two went the full three hours. So I'm like, I'm looking at, at my watch going, um, I'm supposed to record in 20 minutes and, you know, put the show on like double speed to rush through to, to make sure I could, could, could work my way, not only through the English language, but work my way through the Emmy. So but no, they're fun. They're breezy. I mean, we haven't had New Japan in what about a month or so. If you're not counting the um, Philly show or the the Impact, um, I did note that they've put up on New Japan World the outside promotion matches that some of the juniors, Despy Show and Huromu, have done. So you've got up on New Japan World, you've got Despy. Uh, two from Despi, one DDT versus Daisuke Sasaki, Charisma. And then I, and one that I watched, which was like this outdoor show plunder match um, against um, Hiraki Saito. I think I just completely butchered that. Um, Hiromu's appearance on Gleet, which is the same show. Uh, it was the Gleet uh, Sumo Hall show that was... Um, main evented by Abushi and his old fuck pro team. And then a um, show, God, I, for, I forget which promotion. I should just go look up on New Japan World and see what that was. But yeah, so some other kind of additional fun content. I mean, none of those matches are groundbreaking match of the year contenders, but they're nice, breezy, especially the um, outdoor Despy one. That's like a great, like, kind of lunch break match. So if you just want something kind of, little fun, little outside the box. Um, I recommend those as well as a, as a side watch. Yeah. I mean, you put it out, it's been a while since we had a sort of pure New Japan show in Japan. And I will say this, whilst I was sitting in Wembley Stadium watching MJF and Adam Cole wrestle, uh, I was thinking, 
boy, I cannot wait for Yo and Ryusuke Taguchi versus Doki and Yoshinobu Kanemaru on Friday, September the 8th at uh, <laughs> Destruction. <laughs> I got really bad withdrawal symptoms for uh, ProRes at that point. So I'm really glad to see it back. So, um, yeah, can you take us through the first night then? What stood out to you? Um, so the first night was the original plan for the first night was supposed to be Oleg Bolton or Bolton Oleg versus Zach for the TV title after Bolton won that beef bowl gauntlet match thingy. And then night one opens up with kind of like a sumo Cujo announcement. That's what I had going through my head when I was watching them announce that Oleg was not going to be able to make the match because he's got like an infection in his wrist that has resulted in like a high fever and the doctor's got to make a statement corroborating the fact that Bolton can't go and in his place is going to be Oiwa and the crowd loses their mind for that. Um, just to kind of give you an idea that definitely the Corican faithful have kind of picked the, the young lions that they're, that they're attaching themselves to it's overall night one's a, you know, easy kind of breezy watch um, Yo wearing a t-shirt and just basically being like t-shirt Naito was a mood, but night one, like if somebody was wearing a t-shirt, it was basically a Terry Funk t-shirt and that's how New Japan kind of paid their respects to, to the late Terry Funk. So a couple, so a bunch of people were wearing Terry Funk shirts, including red shoes. Um, one of the things that really, so we get the, the match where it's like Umino, with um, Hantai versus Ren and Strong Style and Hanma. And the thing that stuck out to me about this setup is that so Umino gets his own entrance. So he can come through the crowd and do the whole thing and hand out glow sticks and wristbands and kiss babies and shake hands. And he can do all that. And then the rest of his team comes in as a group. But for Ren... It's just first night is Ren coming in with his group to his music. And then night two, they don't even, they don't even come out to Ren's music. They come out to Despy's music as a group. And yes, I know part of the, the story is that Shoda is, you know, gonna is 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 the wannabe star and the wannabe Tanahashi. So he's doing this wannabe t- star entrance and all that jazz. But just on a meta level, just somebody sitting there and watching it, I found it very intriguing to see how they're presenting Ren versus Shota. And the fact that he can't, they're not even having him come out to his music when, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this whole matchup is is supposed to lead to a singles match between Umino and Ren, correct? Yeah, that's what was going to be my question. I mean, where do you think this leads? Because... I've seen some speculation that maybe this is going for Shota versus Ren at Wrestle Kingdom. Maybe they'll do the singles match there. But I also have to keep in the back of my mind that Despy is still a big star, like one of the biggest stars in the junior division. And maybe they want to elevate him for a program in the run-up to Wrestle Kingdom. He could maybe be the guy challenging Hiromu for the belt at Wrestle Kingdom. I don't know, but presumably that there, there is some thought and intentionality that's gone into that. So I suppose your mind is made very on that, w- whether or not you think they are going to build something significant for Despy at the Tokyo Dome. But he's not, but, but 
it would be one thing if it was strong style versus LIJ and you're getting Despi Hiromu, you know, tag team matchups, but the junior he's facing off against is Watto. What, what we're going to like, what he's going to pin Watto and then claim since I pinned the winner of best of the super junior, I get to challenge for the belt. I don't. Well, I, that could be a direction. I mean, we could get something at one of these shows later in the year where there is a, like a sort of de facto playoff for who gets to be the number one contender for uh, Hiromu's belt. And that just, that, that seems to be the direction this is going. I would imagine we do get Watto versus Despi in a singles match at, at one of these shows towards the end of the year. Yeah. And there, you know, cause I didn't, I had a chance. I, I saw just like a little clip after night one and Despi's like, man, Watto's like just this pain in my ass and he's there and they're, they're definitely kind of face off in these, in these two matches. But I'm just more like, if this isn't leading to some sort of singles match between Ren and Umino, then what are we doing with Umino? No, I'm sorry. Then what are we doing with Ren? Because I just, I, I don't know about you, but especially in the night one matchup, I didn't even really feel like heat from Ren. There's there's this moment where the rest of Strong Style is fighting guys outside the ring. Ren doesn't even join, and his I felt that his sequence with Umino in the ring, it it perfunctorily looked good, and and and, and it looked hard, and it felt strong, and he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. But I didn't feel any passion. I didn't feel any like true hatred between, you know, from him towards Umino, where you can feel a reverse of Umino, like, just not really liking this guy and just, just getting into it and just feeling it. And I, I just, I don't know what we're doing with Ren. I don't know what, I don't know what Ren's doing with himself. It's just, it's just baffling. Have you seen this new t-shirt? Um, the one that looks bootleg? So it was, it was from his uh, Toshopi event a few days ago and it was well one of the items only available during the event it's a black t-shirt that has a japanese rhinoceros beetle on it and it says <laughs> son of strong style uh and then times uh, the, the latin name for the japanese rhinoceros beetle so i don't know if he's decided you know what this shibata thing isn't working i'm going to rebrand myself as rhinoceros beetle adjacent uh, <laughs> for, for what it's worth there's a t-shirt with Ren as a beetle on it so I enjoy s- I saw that t-shirt and I thought it was fake I was like no this can't be a real t-shirt no this can't be real this is just something somebody's made up but that's a real that's a real shirt oh, okay I've got some more info from effing Kenta here on Reddit it says Ren has a rhinoceros beetle as a pet it was on the live stream with him um <sighs> He says he doesn't expect it to be a part of his actual aesthetic. Would it hurt? I mean, maybe he should start incorporating into his aesthetic and have like a mask with a, a, a rhinoceros beetle horn on it. And he can use that. The, uh, uh, it could be his new finishing move. He could do like a sort of a headbutt and attack people with his beetle horn. That'd be more passionate than, than when I saw night one. <laughs> okay. Well, poor Ren. Um, Am I wrong? I mean, I mean, well, I mean, how did you no, no, how did you feel no, about no. that? Were you like, I mean, did you get like a totally different thing than what I got from it? Am I am no, I the outlier looking at Ren? I don't think so. I think he is feeling a bit 
directionless. I think towards the end of the G1, he redeemed himself for some lackluster early performances. I think following the Kaito Kiyomiya match, I was just like, yes, this is more of the Ren that I want to see. So I'm not going to judge him based on the output of a couple of row two shows. I, I will wait and see how this feud with Shota plays out. But again, there's still the fear that at the end of that, I would expect Shota to be the guy coming out with the shine, regardless of the result of the match, because I just feel like Shota is lapping around at this point. But uh, I'll reserve judgment. I think I'm, I'm one of the people who's slightly more bullish on Ren's prospects, uh, although I do acknowledge the deficiencies uh, that he has this calendar year. Can we talk about Bad Dude Tito? Oh, we're excited to see him back. We can definitely talk about Bad Dude Tito. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from Arena Club. Com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off. Again, that's arena club.com slash VOW net. Arena club.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast network if i could have a moment of your time i'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors eufy video lock eufy video lock is a smart lock a 2k camera and a doorbell all 
three-in-one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. The Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking. Again, 0.3 seconds, it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock. And with the AI self-learning chip embedded, the more you use it, the more accurate it will be. Also, no battery anxiety. You have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2K clear sight. See who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They are on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy Video Lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy Video Lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, one second doors unlocked much much easier so if you want to jump on board with eufy video lock search eufy video lock that is e u f y video lock again that's eufy video lock e u f y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door Um, Talk to me about Badu Tito. I was absolutely <laughs> thrilled to see him back. Just even the entrance of him and Mikey and Shane coming out just filled me with joy. I'm so glad that he's back in Japan because there was a moment where I was thinking, oh, is this a New Japan sort of quietly trying to cut ties with him? Especially, you know, you hear about all the financial cutbacks and people not being paid to fly out to Japan. So just seeing him back at Korakuen Hall just fills me with great happiness. I think it filled the the cockles of Corrigan's heart with happiness because they they were very happy both nights to see him I especially think uh on night two because I, I think originally he was not scheduled to be on night two I, I could be wrong because I know night two also had some schedule changes because of the 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 Bolton Oleg uh situation no I love seeing Bad Dude Tito I was pleasantly surprised that he did not take the pin both nights I was kind of expecting that. Um, I I would love if if the never if the single never belt can stop being the prize in the Bullet Club Civil War, and other people that are not in Bullet Club are allowed to fight for the never belt and challenge for it. I would love to see Tito challenge for that belt. I'd like to see him have it. I think he fits the aesthetic. 
I listened to Japanese commentary and they were talking and they were like telling people and reminding them about the fact that he's, you know, he's got that street fighting past and he comes from a slightly different background than everybody else. And why, why are we not doing Tito versus Eddie Kingston for the strong title? That'd be great. Yeah. Just why are we not? Well, I mean, why are we not doing Tom Lawler, Eddie Kingston for the strong belt? Why are we not doing Eddie Kingston versus Fred Rosser? For the strong belt. Look at us. Look at us fancy booking Eddie Kingston matches uh, on a New Japan podcast. God, look how far we've come. Shoot. We're Eddie pilled now. <laughs> uh, we are not Eddie. Well, I'm not Eddie pilled. I am. I am filthy Tom pilled. And I think it's 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 a shame that. Um, I guess he has somehow managed to fall off New Japan's radar. I don't know what's going on. I just. Uh, I it, it's it's not Eddie Pilled. I'd like to see more Filthy Tom, and and if I have to like have it in an Eddie match to see Filthy Tom, I I will take that. All right. So Eddie Kingston is like a sort of Trojan horse conduit for consuming more Tom Lawler. I I'm down with that. Yeah. Um, let's talk a, a bit about Callum Newman, who has made his New Japan uh, Japan debut for United United Empire. He's the United Empire Young Lion. Um, he, yeah. What, what do you think of him so far? Cause I saw him at the Revpro show when he was part of the six man cruiserweight match, which was a brilliant match, but you know, the nature of a six man cruiserweight scramble match is that it's difficult for everyone to necessarily get all their shit in and get over. So we didn't see a huge amount of Callum Newman there, but here more of a chance to shine. What did you think of him? I, I like what I saw. Um, he's also known as the Prince of Pace and, I just want to say fuck off to that from the standpoint of if you're being billed as a young lion, I, I ultimately it's, I hate the, uh, the idea of a young lion or somebody that's being presented as a young lion, even within a faction having a nickname. So there he is in, in, in his little black trunks with the little, with the little side of grain to denote that he's a young lion, which I do appreciate. And then like, Oh, but he's already got a nickname, the Prince of Pace. No, just, just call him Callum Newman, but he's fast. Um, cause initially, cause I didn't see him on, on the ref pro deal and I hadn't seen him before now. And so I also kind of thought, oh, okay, this is probably just a bunch of bullshit calling him the Prince of Pace. And then he had that running the rope sequence with Hiromu. And I, I like, I, I wrote down, okay, he's fast. I was like, oh, okay. That's, that's, that's not bullshit. He's pretty fast. You know, and, and he got to do a little bit. He didn't, he didn't get to do much more, but also his chops, are some heavy sounding motherfuckers. Especially, I forget, I think it was Hiromu that he chopped in um, uh, the main event from today's show. And that first chop, like the whole of Corkin was just like, ugh, because it was just so heavy and thick. And Jesus, if he puts on a little bit of weight and gets a little more... Um, even more oomph on those chops. I could just, just then just give me some chop battles where he's turning somebody's chest into hamburger meat. And also, I'm just looking at how old he is now. Um, do you know how old he is? Uh, I, oh, he's, uh, I, no, I don't know. I can't I, find it. I, if I have to guess, I would guess, guess his early twenties. Cause I was just wondering, is there, time for him to fill out like because obviously when will osprey started off in new japan he was a pretty skinny guy and then sort of packed on the muscle as we sort of went into 2019 2020 so definitely uh 
room for Callum Newman to grow in that. Uh, do you think he is a guy who might feature in the Super Junior Tag League? Do you think they might find a new partner for him or possibly give him like Acura or TJP as a partner, like maybe not have Catch 2-2 in Super Junior Tag League? I don't know. I'd be kind of sad if we didn't have Catch 2-2 in the Super Junior He's Tag 24. League. 24. Oh, 24. Okay, 24. okay. Yeah, 24. Yeah, I could, I could see, you know, Acura Newman. I, I, I would take that. I would not be, uh, or, or even, or even put him with a TJP because I know he, I know he's not everyone's favorite wrestler, but TJP is a really good. I know everyone hates this phrase hand, but he's a good hand, and you can see the work that he's done with Akira in getting him kind of comfortable in a New Japan ring and developing him, and helping him just kind of take that next step, that next level. And so ultimately pairing him with, with Callum and to, to get that same results, I'd be okay with that. I also want Callum to like go get a tan or get some spray tan because <laughs> he does look extremely like fit all the stereotypes of the sort of pasty, skinny white British man. He is so pasty white. I could white balance a camera off his back. Even like scrolling down the uh, on the New Japan official website of the like, the match cards, when I get to him, I'm like, oh, I've got to turn the brightness down on my monitor because it's hurting my eyes. I know, I know. That's because especially when he's next to like in the same graphic, there's Hinare and Great Okada, Jeff Cobb. We've all got you know nice tans, and it's just him like looking like someone's fucked up the contrast on the render. Yeah. In side note, some of these renders for these matches are glorious because they're actually letting them pose and do things and not just kind of stand in front of the camera menacingly. And they are some of the, in some cases, some of the best things. I love it. Uh, what else have we got? Oh, so, okay. We were supposed to have, um, as you said, uh, Zach Sabre Jr. versus Oleg Bolton. We didn't get that. Instead, we got Zach versus Ryohei Oiwa, who was making uh, a one-off appearance while he was still on his no excursion. And it turned up with, None other than Kaito Kiyomiya. So uh, a little bit of stuff teased afterwards with maybe Zach and Kaito locking horns in the future. But what did you think of Zach versus Oiwa? Um, I liked it. It was especially, you know, for a match they had to put together at the last minute. I think it just kind of reiterates or reinforces just how good Zach is and how you can put him with just about any opponent and he's going to make it work. I enjoyed Basically, I really enjoyed um, about maybe right around the 10-minute mark, just right before when Oiwa started to get some like sustained offense in and to be able to show what he can actually do. And, and, and he, got a little, he got a little hit of steam going and he got that little hope spot. And that, that's what I wanted to see. I would, I would have liked to see a little bit more of that in the match overall, but, but I understand from a match-telling standpoint, it doesn't really help anybody if Oiwa just comes in and just starts like kicking Zach's ass. I get that. Um, but for what it was, I mean, it's not a match of the year candidate, but it's a, it was a solid little match. It was fun. Um, I don't like his gear. Oiwa. I, I, I hate the color scheme on, on his, on his pants. Obviously I know that that's, is, is it, is he doing matching gear with, Kaito, is that the thing? Are they are they a, are they a tag team now in Noah? Uh, I I think they're doing some some tag team stuff in Noah. I'm not 
I'm not keeping up with that deeply. I just, and, and here's my thing with him kind of palling around with Kaido and Noah. And this would be my question if, if we were like in a real, like, let's say this is like Lucha Underground where everything was actually happening in like, say, reality. And I'm sitting there with Oiwa and I'm going, why do you want to learn from a dude that got punked by Mudo, got his ass kicked by Okada, couldn't even handle a desperate housewife in the middle of a ring, and then came, skipped his own company's tournament to participate in the G1 where he couldn't even get a winning record? Why is that a guy that you as a young lion, as a young upcoming wrestler, think that you that, that is who you should hitch your wagon to to further develop? Maybe he really liked his tights. Possibly. And his hairstyle, because he, he changed his hairstyle. He's got that little bit of blonde in the back. But no, the, but, no. No, the, but no, the match was fine. Um, nothing special. Zach continues to to do wonderful Zach things and quietly put together. Like if if you wanted to have Zach in your wrestler of the year conversation, I would not stop you. Yeah, I think he's sort of thrown under the radar a bit. But now that you mention it, I'll be interested to put up his cage match and just just look at the variety of singles matches he's had in various promotions and various opponents. Um, I mean, actually, we did have a question here about Zach. Says uh, Kevin says lots of talk about Osprey potentially leaving New Japan. What about Zach? Do you think he is someone we should be worried about? I don't know, because um, Zach, we we all think Zach lives in in completely fully moved to Japan. Correct? Is that like the working theory? That that- I don't know. These, these things are very fluid. I, can, I never yeah. stay on top of them, so I, I'm, I'm ignorant on that, I'm afraid. And and here, okay, here, here's how I'm going to answer this. And that, do I want Zach to leave? No. I think New Japan would be the best, it is the best showcase for what he can do. With that being said, will I be shocked if he leaves? No, because... And, and I had this thought while I was watching him defend his his belt that is supposed to be for young up-and-coming wrestlers against Satoshi Kojima earlier today, that I feel like he's reached his ceiling in New Japan. I don't think he's ever going to get the big boy belt, no matter how much Zach kind of fills out and puts on a little little muscle mass. Uh, and he's definitely gotten thicker over the year or so. Um, we don't have an intercontinental belt. I know. I know. There's a question about that. Um, I don't. I'm not sure if he'll contend again for the U.S., U.K., whatever the hell we're calling that belt. Um, I'm not sure outside. Like once he drops this TV title. I don't know where he goes and I don't feel confident in saying that he's going to be anything more than the occasional IWGP heavyweight super sentai diva belt challenger. So yeah, I mean, someone, like, like you said, someone asked about the um, intercontinental title situation. And of course he's got that. What, what I think is a really big 
is it is it going to be? I assume it's going to be the main event, him versus Osprey at Royal Quest Three, and perhaps that could be some sort of way for the Intercontinental title to make its way back. But I don't see Osprey losing the US title before Wrestle Kingdom. I don't know. There's a lot of uh, uncertainty there. But I, again, I did pull up Zach's cage match just to see, not necessarily for the ratings, but just the range of opponents he's had in singles matches this year. He seems to have wrestled every wrestler ever. So he's wrestled in singles matches this year. Ren, Ishii, Clark Connors, Blake Christian, Ryan Clancy, Shota Umino, Michael Oku, Oiwa, Oscar Loiber, uh, Umino again, Tom Lawler, Jeff Cobb, AR Fox, Tony Deppen, Rocky Romero, Jordan Oliver, Action Andretti, uh, Jeff Cobb again, Nick Gage, Kevin Knight, Jordan Brakes. Uh, and then, of course, there was the G1 run to the quarterfinals. Christopher Daniels, Metalik, Ricky Knight Jr., Oiwa again, and now Kojima. I mean, <laughs> that is, that's a great, we're still only just in September. That yeah. is an insane amount of different opponents to have in, in singles matches. Like, what an absolute workhorse this guy is. Yeah. So yeah, if you so if, if you if you come to me and go, hey, Zach is is, I'm gonna vote Zach for my wrestler of the year. Man, have at it. I ain't stopping you. Yeah. Hope the man gets his flowers at the end of the year. Um, okay. What else are we looking at? Okay. So there was Zach versus Oiwa. Uh, then we had a main event: Tai Chi and Sonata versus Show and Evil. I mean, there's not a huge amount to say about the match itself, but I just wanted to sort of touch base on the landscape of the New Japan Heavyweight Tag Division. Uh, and I was thinking that a tag run with Sanada and Taichi teaming together and maybe having a crack at the heavyweight tag titles would be a nice way for Sanada to bounce back after he presumably loses the heavyweight title to Naito at Wrestle Kingdom. And just sort of looking ahead at what the heavyweight tag division might look like towards the end of this year and next year. I mean, there were sort of whispers of Aussie Open making an appearance at some point, I would be very surprised if they were in World Tag League because I've been assured by multiple AEW fans that they are locked into several high-profile feuds with uh, the, the major tag teams in the company. So, yeah, I would be stunned if they can make time to come to World Tag League. But, you know, maybe they might do what FTR did last year, you know, pop in, parachute in to do a sort of big high-profile tag match possibly with title implications, maybe even win the tag titles, because obviously they held them before and had to vacate them due to Mark Davis's injury. So they could pull the whole, oh, you know, we're still the real champions. We never lost the belts. And yeah, just do the FTR thing, put over the World Tag League winner. So uh, again, just taking Aussie Open out of the equation, looking at the landscape where we've potentially got Taichi Sanada as a team. We've got Bishamon, we've got TMDK, we've got War Dogs, we've got maybe some sort of United Empire team of uh, Great Okan, Cobb, Hinare, just pick your two from those. Uh, we could have, um, definitely missing some here. Um, oh, Shingo Suji. I would love to see that as a tag team. I mean, neither of them are doing anything significant, so we could put them together. Uh, I mean, how are you feeling about the landscape as far as the heavyweight tag division goes? Uh, I mean, it's, it's in a state of flux. I think I'm not sure about Taichi Sonata for like an actual proper tag run. Um, I mean, Tai Chi's not been in World Tag League. Was it just last year or last year and the year before that there was no dangerous uh, techers? Yeah, I think you might be right. I mean, I I'm not expecting him to be in it this year. I, mean, yeah. I suppose that sort of brings up an interesting question. Like, what would you expect to be the 
heavyweight tag title match for Wrestle Kingdom? Who do you think is winning World Tag League? I think I think Bishamon's going to hold till uh, Wrestle Kingdom. And in terms of who I think, you know, I, oh, if is it I, too soon for my dogs for real? I, I, I see. I, I was just, it's like, I want war dogs to come out of my mouth and, and I'm not, they've got the strong titles. So you've, but it wouldn't be the first time that, you know, we've had that type of a matchup. Um, it, it wouldn't be the craziest thing. And if, if the company's really, really behind war dogs, then yeah, they, you know, you have a win tag league and then, you know, fight Bishamon in a great, you know, and make it a sprint. I, I, I don't want like some 20 minute fest between the two of them. I would love a, you know, 10 to maybe 15 minute at the outset, you know, nice, just, just hard hitting fuck them up sprint. And War Dogs being the 100th tag team champions. I'd be okay with that. That would sort of give me kind of flashbacks. So was it the Wrestle Kingdom 12 match between Killer Elite Squad and Evil Sonata? And I think they're sort of respective teams filling in similar functions there. And I really feel War Dogs have got that same energy that Killer Elite Squad did. So... Uh, we live in hope. I mean, I'm not going to nail my colours to the, the wall here and say, yes, Wardogs for World Tag League winners. But yeah, it's it's quite open. It's up and yeah, there's not really a team that I see as standout um, favourites for that. And of course, we've gone through this without me uh, mentioning Gorilla's Destiny. Uh, of course, ELP, Hikuleo, that could be a thing. Yeah. I don't know if Tama and, and Tangaloa are still going to be doing it. Uh, Monster Source, we've got uh, Alex Zane and Lance Archer, hopefully going to be in the mix. So yeah, it could be quite a, a fun tag league this year that uh, absolutely nobody's going to watch. Uh, so that was all the, the good stuff from night one. I mean, night two, I suppose the most notable thing was the unfortunate injury to Yoshinobu Kanemaru, who appeared to Vince himself. Basically, yeah. we've all seen the, the famous spot with Vince uh, blowing out his quad. Wait, blow up. Was it both his quads? Yeah. At the uh, Royal Rumble 2005. So this was right at the start of the match uh, where it was Kanemaru and Taichi and Sonata all at different sides of the ring. And then they all slid into the ring at the same time to attack House of Torture. But as Kanemaru slid into the ring and stood up, he just buckled, he collapsed. Like there was no contact with anyone else. He just obviously had some sort of awkward uh, twist or tear or something as he got into the ring and had to be immediately helped backstage he wasn't stretched out or anything but you know you could obviously see this was not a work he was genuinely hurt something to do with his knee I, I don't know that seemed to be what Sonata and Taichi were, were communicating towards the end of the match so that's really terrible news I mean we would have expected to see him in Super Junior Tag League possibly teaming with Doki so I don't know if we're going to do Doki and maybe Despi tagging or Doki and Taka tagging and Taka's going to uh, finesse his way into getting a payday but we did have Doki coming out to replace Kanemaru in this match. Uh, Doki pulling double duty here after wrestling in the opening match. And it just had that magic where obviously the crowd knew that Kanemaru was legitimately hurt and just put all that energy behind 
doggy. And it, I thought this match was really fantastic. Like you wouldn't expect it as the fourth match, a six man tag match on a, a road to destruction show. But I thought they just sort of captured lightning in a bottle here. The, the crowd was sort of living and dying behind everything Doki was doing. And there were some quite creative sequences down the stretch. So it was a bit where I think Doki had evil in the Doki Choki. Yeah. And then Taichi was there and just kicked evil in the face. That was great. Uh, really, really fun match. They just, House of Torture, they, they got that magic in Coracle and Hall. And I thought Just Five Guys were a good foil to that. So if you're looking for me to pick out one match from these two shows that I would say go out of your way to watch. I thought this one was a, a ton of fun. Yeah. Um, I, I just call that the Doki match because, you know, Kanemaru goes down immediately. Yujiro backs cause he was supposed to be the one to be, to be, be fighting Kanemaru in that opening sequence. And immediately Yujiro's like, I didn't do it. I don't know what happened, but I didn't do it. Not me. Um, and I really get, and you really got to give the other guys credit for somehow it being communicated that hey, will Doki will run out and replace Kanemaru, uh, but you got to buy time, I guess, for Doki to put his mask back on or or whatever. I was impressed that he had his he had his gear on and he was, you know, because that and hadn't hit the showers yet or whatever. Um, but for the other five to basically kind of stall. And just on the fly, make up um, to create a situation where Doki could come in and and be the fiery baby face to come in and, and save the day and clear the ring and then declare that he's going to uh, replace Kanemaru. And then that whole match just ultimately revolves around Doki. And it just it just and you cannot tell me that. The original plan for that match was going to be Kanemaru getting the price, almost all of the the offense and the defense in, with everyone else just having little spots. They just, I, I think, on the fly, just went, okay, let's let's just make this all about Doki and have a good time, and being able to just on the fly, it's like, okay, I don't know how they communicated that. Oh yeah, you know, Doki's going to come in clean house, and then he's going to do like a like a like a dive onto Togo and everything that they did and it remind it, and it reminds you that during the pandemic yeah Yoshihashi was like a king of Korokin but the other king of Korokin was Doki they Korokin loves Doki and they just got behind him and just willed him and were waiting for him to 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 steal this win and it is, it is a great, fun match. Um, but what I, I felt, and I took this note, in that I like the matchup between Just Five Guys and House of Torture. Um, I do think they, they play off each other very well. I don't think it's a main event matchup, though. I think it's, it's perfectly cromulent for the mid-card, which is where it was sitting on night two. But when you put it as your main event matchup, it's not as fun because House of Torture is not a main event act. Um, and everybody's very competent. And show talking about his, his sense of justice. And they're not booing us. They're booing our enemies, which I think is brilliant. But the act as a whole is not a main event act. It's not, it's not top tier gimmick. It's, it's, it is what it is. It's a mid card. It gets the fan base riled up. 
It's a great, you, you can have a match, and but it's still kind of a bit of a cool down. No one's ever going to accuse a House of Torture matchup to be some work rate cage match approved deal. But Corrigan loves it. And it's, and it's, and it's Panto, right? It's boo and hiss. And they do, do their same deals all the time. And everybody knows that how, how they're going to, how they're supposed to react to it. Um, I just don't like it as a main event deal, which doesn't give me much hope for our eventual main event of Sonata versus evil for the super Sentai diva belt. Yeah. I think I've seen a lot of grumbling, a lot of concern about that, uh, destruction at sumo hall card that it could turn out to be a disaster but uh i don't know man like the the evil act i think works best when there is the threat of him becoming a main eventer um but yeah maybe him in a g1 semi-final is one thing because then you know everyone is getting behind his opponent and nobody, even the most hardened evil and house of torture apologists like myself, we don't want to see no evil, no fucking G one final, right? We're, we're not complete masochists. Uh, however, when you run that threat back twice, like, okay, we are cheering against this guy being in a G one final, but then that sort of suspension of disbelief in a match that is going to potentially decide who is main eventing wrestle kingdom. The, Drama of that is somewhat compromised because I don't think there's many people who are going to go into that sumo hall show believing that Eva is going to win that and main event Wrestle Kingdom. Whereas, right. you know, there, there was a little sliver of doubt. You, you thought they might just be nutty enough to do Evil versus Naito for the G1 Climax final. Like they might have done that. Yeah. You know, it wouldn't, you wouldn't, it would not be on the realms of possibility. But yeah, I do share your concerns with that sumo hall main event. And then where do you think? So I think on the same show, is supposed to be no pun intended. Tai Chi and Show for KOPW. Now, who do you think is going to win that? Oof. Um, tai Chi. I don't think I, I don't see them belting up Show for. <laughs> I mean, let's say belting up with a KOPW, one of the, the more minor titles. But yeah, I, I'd say Tai Chi keeps that. You don't think you, you don't think Show? You don't think they'll? You don't think that they're finally going to do something with Show? And have this this wacky guy who, you know, does spots with bananas and wrenches and just put out this bonkers interview talking about his sense of justice and interpreting the booze for, you know, reverse cheers for for what they're doing. Um, you don't think he's going to touch what's be- what before Shingo and Tai Chi was nominally a comedy fest belt? You don't think he has a shot at it? Now you've laid it out like that, I would be intrigued. You, you've planted a seed of doubt in my mind. So that will be the sixth match at the Kobe show. So I was scrolling down. I was like, oh, sixth match. You know, maybe they might actually do something interesting with that because, you know, there is a an iteration of that match where show sort of does proper wrestling and him and Taichi sort of beat the crap out of each other. And it is pleasing to the eye for the work ratings. But then I kept scrolling and okay, this is a 10 match card. So sixth match on a 10 match card. I I'm not holding my breath for anything spectacular there, but uh, no, I, I think the Taichi KOPW run still has legs. I mean, he only just won it off Shingo, didn't he? He's not had any successful defenses thus far, if I'm not mistaken. I thought he, he didn't redefend. He didn't. Um, 
have like a rematch against Shingo for it? Maybe he did. Okay, I'm going to have to have a look then. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's had yeah zero defenses. So he okay. won it on April 29th at Wrestling Satsuma no Kuni and has thus far failed to defend it. I mean, talk about, you know, l- lack of a active champion. I mean, he should have been stripped of this thing. Yeah. No defenses since April. Shocking. No, I just, I, I just, I just have a feeling that they're gonna, they're gonna put it on show, and I could be, and, and I'm not willing to bet on it because, if anything, the Discord has taught me not to make bets. <laughs> oh my god! Um, oh, also, right, can, can I say while we're talking Discord, there was a question on Twitter, and I'm not gonna name the names in the tweet. Can I just say, do not go into our Discord or any Discord and get into uh, public uh, slagging matches with one of your colleagues that's not the place to do it, it, it just that's silly well any any discord any public place is is it, it's stupid and it's also i'm sorry but it is at best naive and if not just downright stupid to get and also indirectly my fault <laughs> uh well but it, but I took the heat off of me. You oh, know, God, yeah, you, yeah. you could have got me in trouble. So right, um, yeah. thanks for that. Um, but no, to, to go into a space like that and to disparage a coworker and not expect it to leave that place and for other, and, and basically to not, to, to think that gossip wasn't going to happen is and that's and that's for any workplace, right? Like if you go if you go to the water cooler, and you shit about a co and you say things about a coworker, and there are other coworkers that overhear this, I think it is a reasonable expectation that that's going to start getting filtered out through the rest of the company, and that maybe the coworker that you're disparaging is going to hear about it third or fourth hand that you don't that you've got it you've got beef with them or whatever. Or they don't like how you do a spreadsheet or something. That's just basic workplace 101. And at this point, it should be basic social media literacy 101 to to just like keep your fucking mouth shut. And if if there is, uh, if you want to do that, if you want to you know throw one of your colleagues under the bus, do it in my DMs. Right. Right, make some, listen. Make, make some. I won't go public with it either. You know, get some get some potential pastrami out of it at least. At least make it worth your while, and not to like fuck things up. It's just no. It's and it, and no. And, and again, this is basic workplace one hundred and one, not just wrestling related or sports related or whatever. Just here, here is a piece of advice from Mama Lepro, who's been on this earth a little bit longer than I think half the people that listen to this podcast. Let me give you a couple pieces of advice. One, save everything when it comes to work. Keep keep all those emails, all those slacks, all those DMs, whatever you use, because at some point you may need them to support yourself in a situation. And just keep your mouth shut and be wary of who you run it in front of because there's all in a workplace of more than two people, there's always going to be somebody 
that's going to use that to get you and get you out the door and to take your place. Don't be stupid. Do we need a HR department in our Discord now? We need something in our Discord. I don't know if we need an HR. We we need something. <laughs> Shit. Well, I, I think everyone I, just sort of collectively lost their minds during the G1. It happens. I, I, you know, I don't know. What I blame the, Chase Owens. <laughs> I, I mean, that shocked me. It was like, wait a minute. We, we as a group got through 2020 and 2021 and we saw some, we, we got through summer struggle 2021 and it won <laughs> crap Chase Owens G1 match and everyone just lost their minds. Fuck. I, oh yeah, no. I I I don't know if we need HR. I don't know if we need Gamblers Anonymous, because there are some people that love betting when they shouldn't be making bets, because they got shitty luck. I think maybe the, a lot of people just have like humiliation kinks. Well, them and Tony Khan. <laughs> I, all right, okay. On the topic, um, percentage chance we see CM Punk wrestling for New Japan in the future. <sighs> Man, um, Rocky can't stop himself from, like, booking problematic people. I, I don't think New Japan can afford punk. But I, I think that would be, I, I think money is the only thing that would stop New Japan from getting punk. I think he would be too stupid. And we know punk can be stupid. I, I think he would ask for a just a stupid dollar amount that... New Japan Bushi Road could not find enough pennies under the couch cushions to cover. See, I, I think they could get him at a, a discount rate just by tapping into his spite and his ego and just giving him the chance to, you know, take shots at people who he thinks has wronged him on a massive stage. You know, like book him a, a match at Wrestle Kingdom where he can beat Kenta with a go to sleep and then he can make some snarky comments to the camera or backstage. Uh, you know, uh, fire some shots at all the people who's pissed them off in AW. Just, just give him a, a live microphone. Just be like, okay, there you go. Go nuts. And then, yeah, maybe if you let him do all those things, then he might accept a, a cut price deal. Yeah, but then Yano would do something in a chaos um, video and Punk would think it was about him and leave. <laughs> Punk would be like trawling through the 30 plus minute backstage comments on the, the entire world tackling tour being like, I think that was about me. He's talking about me, isn't he? Right. And, and, and it's just, and it's just always Oscar Loibe talking about how, <laughs> He's how, how, try how great his best. Yeah. <laughs> it, just come money. No, it's about me. I, I yeah, no. Um, speaking of gun buddy, um, and surviving things and things that maybe should be left in the pandemic. I'm sorry, but what was that never six man match? Why in the year of our Lord 2023 are we having a never six man match between Kazushka Okada, Tomohiro Ishii, Hiroshi Tanahashi against Tenzan, Tiger Mask, and Makabe? What are we doing? I thought parts of it were good. I kind of enjoyed the Tenzan and Ishii bits, but everything else, I, you know, I then realized I was watching Toki Makabe <laughs> in 2023. And yeah, it would. Yeah. I liked, I actually, all, all the Tenzan bits 
reminded me of the Nakanishi retirement match. That was a great match. I kind of got lost in the shuffle because that was, the, was the, that was the last match before COVID hit, right? No, it was, um, I think it was the next to last show. It's within that, it's within that string of like three shows where you've got, that might've been the final night, but it's that part of that, that three shows at Corrigan where you've got that main eventing one night. And then you had on another night, um, golden ace against god with a very hot corking corking crowd um and then there was like a third one i think the third one was like a shingo ishii main event um i'm not sure of how each three lined up against one another but yeah it's it's one of it's i've it's not the last it's, it's the next to last yeah and that really is a great match but all all the all the sequences with tenzon very much gave me that similar vibe of you've got these three guys in Okada Tanahashi who maybe needs to um, think about retirement himself and Ishii basically taking an old horse out back and trying to put it down. Ishii, which I know is typical for Ishii um, is like no selling the Korokin clubs I think is what we're allowed to call them now, but there's like these sequences where all three are tanging up or are teaming up together to basically bully the fuck out of Tenzon and to keep them down. And it just had this very, at times, melancholic feel to it, which was not helped by the VTR that they opened the match with that I'm watching that VTR. And I'm like, is Nakanishi going to retire? at the end of this match if he doesn't win because it had that vibes um he needs to retire makabe needs to retire i actually um night one i really enjoyed the sequence between tiger mask and ishii and if you were to give me like if you made njc next year another all open weight um deal and you gave me like a round one tiger mask ishii match I would be very happy. I think that I, at least I would be all for it. And I thought out of the three on the challenger side, Tiger Mask is the only one that has any business still being in the ring because he could still go. And, but the other two need to like fuck off. Yeah, I do always kind of actually look forward to Tiger Mask's participation in, was he in Super Junior Tag League last year? I can't remember. I know he had the whole flying tigers thing going on, but, uh, yeah, when he gets a tap on the shoulder, he can do sort of the grumpy old man thing with the fact that he is also actually still a tremendous base. And if he's got younger, sprightly guys flying around for him, then it's actually pretty good fun and very watchable. Uh, you got me down a bit of a rabbit hole, actually, because I was looking up what the final match before COVID were was and then the next match after that little hiatus there. So the last match before COVID was... Um, New Japan Road social welfare charity event on Wednesday, February 26, 2020, which was main evented by Osprey and Okada versus Bushi and Naito. So I guess they were sort of building towards the, what were they building towards? I know that was with the anniversary event was just around the corner, wasn't it? I get like, we're, we, I, I, we wanted Naito Hiromu. I forgot that. Sh I forgot that show even existed. Was it in Corrigan? The one that I just said, yeah. no, it was in Okinawa, the Okinawa prefectural, Budokan. And I don't actually know if this was televised, yeah, but see? that was the last event. Okay. Um, and okay, here's a, 
a little trivia question for you. You, you may not get this. What was the first televised match following COVID, like uh, following the hiatus? So uh, the Together Project special, right. Monday, June 15th, in the unknown location. Do you remember what the opening match was? Um, I remember Tana crying. I'll give you a clue. Okay. Do you want a big clue? Yeah, give me okay, a big clue. clue was, it was a match that took place in this year's G1 Climax in the A block. Well, then the only... Oh, um, was it, was it, was it something involving Ren and Shoda? Neither of them. Oh, shit. If you tell me Chase Owens, I'm going to cry. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> no, not Chase Owens. No, um, Suji? Yes, he was one half of it. Okay. Suji Sonata? No, it wasn't Sonata. All right. No, just give it to me. Uh, Suji versus Gabe Kid. Oh. And, uh, okay. An eight minute, 43 second win for Yota Suji. So, yeah, interesting bit of history there. Yeah. Uh, I, I wonder if. Um, no, I would hope that at some point in the future, Suji and Gabe get to have an extended singles feud. And that will be just an interesting little caveat for that, them being the first match back following the COVID hiatus. So uh, there you go. Absolutely unrelated to what we're discussing. But uh, <laughs> hey, that uh, Zach versus Kojima match, that was pretty fucking good, wasn't it? I was watching that thinking, uh, and the, this Kojima thought always pops into my head every time I watch him very competently wrestling Some pretty high profile singles matches. You know, the, the CM Punk match at, uh, Forbidden Door 2. This man's still not got his uh, G1 goodbye run, and he probably never will, but I still think it would be very cool if he did get that G1 goodbye run. No, I... Yeah, it would be cool. I don't think it's going to happen. I think that time has greatly passed. If you wanted to give that to me in the form of, like, a little mini NJC run, I, I, I think that's a better chance of happening. But, no, he, he looked fine. Um, I, I, I had the joke note of, you know, since apparently Zach is defending this belt against the dads now, when does Hanma get a chance at it? <laughs> Who I still think moves better yeah. than Tanahashi. Yeah, I remember at some point in the, the uh, Never Six Man match, I just sort of tuned out a bit and then I started paying attention again and Chris Charlton's talking about, and yeah, the, this uh, this guy gives it his all, but people are asking whether or not he should be in the G1 anymore. Maybe he's at his last G1 entry. And I was like, oh, they must be talking about Tanahashi. No, he's talking about Ishii. And I was like, no, fuck that. But he should be <laughs> asking questions about the ace. Yeah. No, I, I am fully, and, and I've had this, these conversations in the discord. I am, I am fully on board with, if you got to go. And I do think you need to go back down to 20 men in the G1. I am all for cutting Tanahashi. I get that you have to, that it's Tanahashi and he should have a one last run. I don't even want to fucking see that. I don't want to see a Tanahashi G1 run. Um, it'll be competent. He'll cry after every match. Um, but he just needs to, he just needs to go. Or at least just get out of the G1 and just be a full, full-time dad. But the problem is who takes over Hantai. Because Hantai has a serious lack 
of leadership. And I think I think at this point that's the only reason why Tanahashi's not should be Shota. Should, that should be him. Should be him. Um I think we're not there yet. I think I think if he has like a really great singles match at Wrestle Kingdom, then if you want at New Year's Dash for that that kind of passing of the baton to happen, I would be completely okay with that. Um but yeah, I don't fuck sentimentality. I don't see Tana in another G1. I'm sorry. And I'm hurting a lot of feelings and people are going to be like, I don't know, burning little, little boozes in effigy as, as I say this, but nah, just, just stop it. Just, just please put us out of our misery. Put him out of his misery. It's bad enough. You got to watch him in world tag league. That's brutal enough. God. Yeah. If I have to watch nine or however many it is, um, Bebop tag matches. <laughs> going to shoot myself. Um, okay, uh, let's move on to the main event, which was, I thought, a lot of fun. We had an elimination match with uh, five of the United Empire guys against the LIJ guys. And obviously, these guys sort of pairing off with their little feuds that they're having together. But the Osprey and Suji segments of this match were very, very exciting and has whetted my appetite for their match coming up. Is it Kobe? They're wrestling each other, I think, for the US title. Yeah, I, I, I kind of wish that was happening at Royal Quest, but Kobe's fine. Same. I yeah. thought it was going to be. And whilst I'm excited with Osprey Zach, and that's going to be great, I really wanted Osprey Suji. And you know, I do look at the Osprey Suji matchmaking, and if you had, if I were New Japan Booker, and Osprey said to me, yeah, look, I think I'm done after January, who do you want me to put over or who do you want me to work? Not necessarily put over, but who do you want me to work with between now and then? Suji would be close to the top of the list, right? Oh God. Yeah. It, it'd be one of our, one of our Rewa musketeers, right? Um, and, and maybe Ren just from the standpoint of. I, I think they've already had a match actually, if I'm not mistaken. I think on one of the U S events. You, you can, well, he, uh, was it? No, no. I'm thinking of him versus Uemura. No, no, no. It was him. Was it him and Ren at like battle, uh, battle in the Valley? So of course they met, obviously, well, I say obviously they met in the 2019 best of the super juniors. Oh, I forgot about and that. And they also, yeah, it was, yeah. Battle in the Valley 2021. You're correct. Yeah, I think I reviewed that show. Um, God, I think I, I think I did do like five shows that, that episode um yeah but just because they've they've met before doesn't mean that they can't meet again and that was a few years ago yeah, Ren's a busted flash at this point there's no don't want to be wasting one of osprey's final new japan matches on him <laughs> give it to suji huge suge no I'm, I'm all for huge suge and i would not have a problem with that um but i also wouldn't have a problem with ren um you know, two years after since they've last yes, met. Yes, it says the person who listed multiple problems you had with Ren I, uh, about but, twenty minutes ago. <laughs> right, but it's but they're fixable, and a lot of it is just in his presentation, and the fact that his booking is aimless, and and we talk about all the time that all that there's very few guys, if any, on this roster that when you give them a tap on the shoulder and you, you give them a direction to go in, that they step up and do it. 
and and that that that's my thing with Ren. I'm I'm not claiming that Ren is on fraud watch or any of that bullshit. Um, I'm not. Ren is not my Watto, as Watto is for Damon. Um, I just his booking is aimless. He feels a little aimless, and I think it could be easily fixed. Where you just with a, a rhinoceros beetle helmet. Yeah, we we we've, we've done this. Possibly. <laughs> I mean, give, give come on, a Wrestle Kingdom TV title belt, Zack versus Ren, and Ren comes in with 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 the uh with the rhinoceros beetle helmet. Zack will actually bring his pet rhinoceros beetle to, to um, corner him because yeah, yeah. carrying the towel with him. <laughs> and then and then, you know, Mad Mikey can can do a spot with the beetle and it'll it'll be fun. But no, I just I, that that's my thing with Ren. Yes, I I have concerns, but I think I'm hoping that those concerns can be easily alleviated alleviated with just a little direction and even a modicum of a push, any sign of something from the booking committee that they've got a plan for him and that he's just not kind of wandering aimlessly. How are you feeling on? Jeff Cobb versus Naito because they had some good stuff in this elimination match and they've been running this uh, amusing angle with Naito having scrawled out a, a contract for uh, the Wrestle Kingdom match uh, on a piece of paper and given it to Jeff Cobb who ripped it up into pieces. Uh, and yeah, so they finished off this eliminate, elimination match together. It was Cobb who defeat, uh, eliminated Naito at the end via uh, the, the over-the-top rope ring out. Uh, is that... Getting you, you buzzed for uh, destruction in Ryogoku? Yeah, I love, I love Jeff Cobb, and he's. I, I'm I'm trying to think if Jeff Cobb has had a bad feud since he turned since he joined United Empire, and and I can't think. Yeah, of- I was going to say Jeff Cobb versus his own cardiovascular system. During the 2019 G1, but we, yeah, yeah, as you say, pre pre United Empire, yes. Um, but just just every everything that he's done, he's just great in. He's I don't think he gets credit for being the the snarky sassy promo that he is, which is a perfect foil to Naito, so they can be you know jerk offs together. And no, so I am I'm very excited. You know, Naito always bumps like a madman. So he's, you know, it's going to be good fun watching Jeff Cobb ragdoll the fuck out of him. And Cobb is, you know, still, e- even though he's a member, an official member of the 1982 club, Cobb still has great, you know, hops and, fle- and you know, for a big man, he can move and get some height and things like that. So I am, I'm very excited for that match. All right. Well, I think that about covers it. I mean, in terms of previewing upcoming events, I think there's only one televised event that's on next week. And it is the isn't blue, blue justice. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, I thought it was blue justice being like tomorrow. It is tomorrow. Yeah. So by the time you hear this, it will probably have finished. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is the blue justice 13 Segi Saikai show in uh, Chiba in the Togane Arena, where I guess the most notable match on this is the beginning of the Best of Seven series, match one with Wato Shota and Nagata against 
Bren, Despi and Suzuki. So there's that. <laughs> Any thoughts on that? I just hope it I just hope it ends with setting up a singles match for Ren and Shoda. And then, you know, it I mean, all those three guys against one another, it's you look at that and you go, Okay, I I can see where you end up with the Shoda Ren singles. You have another Nagata Suzuki. Because it's Suzuki, right? Yeah. I was wondering if we might yeah, Ren Nagata Ren Red, what the fuck am I talking about? My brain has just stopped working, Boost. Okay. Good Lord. Right, I'm going to take a deep breath. Try it again. Yuji Nagata versus Minoru Suzuki singles match. I wonder if that might happen in the future. Wasn't worth it. The, the <laughs> absolute mental battle I had to yeah. overcome to get that sentence out. Yeah, and, and you know, we talked earlier about the possibility of a Wado Desperado singles match in the future. So it, it, it's, it lines up for that. So if at the end of this seven trial series, if if we're not getting that, I will be sad and surprised. If that doesn't happen, I'm going to put my foot through the TV and send Abari the bill. That's how upset I'll be. <laughs> All right, Booth, anything else you would like to discuss uh, in the world of New Japan or outside of the world of New Japan before we wrap it up today? Because I'm impressed. We've managed to do two hours and 10 minutes where very little has happened. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I mean, I'm surprised I didn't get an Ibushi question, but I was kind of waiting for Who? that. I know. <laughs> uh, takoyaki, Sorry. Ta- takoyaki tummy Ibushi. <laughs> Yeah, I, nobody enjoyed the comedy of me putting him in my fat fuck block I when did. I did um, the. No, I, I did. know you did. I, I loved it. I, I like when you did that. Everyone else, no, sold it. Yeah, but er, I, people are so like we, and we've talked about this before that people are weird when it comes to Ibushi. I'm sorry. I watched that Glee elimination ten man tag, and everybody was sitting there posting the gif of Ibushi doing that dive in Corkin from not Corkin, I'm sorry, um, Sumo Hall from the top of an entrance. And they're all like, oh my God, he's back. And I'm like, what the fuck are you all watching? This was like the saddest, slowest, um, pathetic looking dive I've ever seen. And I know some of it was because apparently the night before, Abushi was dealing with like tonsillitis and a significant fever and was like, yeah, I think I can talk the doctor into like letting me out of the hospital so I can fulfill my commitment. Um, but, you know, he put on weight and just watching him make that climb and then do that dive, which looked like it was happening in slow-mo when it was happening in real time was just like, what, what are you doing, son? What? I don't, I don't get it. Um, but people are like, no, he's back. I'm like, no, he's, he's got a talk, he, a takoyaku tummy. And I like takoyaki too, but I'm also not trying to reclaim my youth and wrestle like I did in 2018. So, or 2017. Yeah. This, this version of Ibushi, Tony can have him. He's welcome to him. Oh God. Yeah. And just, I, I, I hope it's like, if you want to say he's washed, I won't stop you. Uh, I'm not ready to go that far yet because he's only done five matches since um, WrestleMania weekend. 
after an 18-month layoff, and he can't stay healthy. Um, his ankle was taped up for Gleet and for um, Wembley, so the ankle's not 100%. There's a chance that the shoulder was not 100% for the WrestleMania weekend shows against Mike Bailey and Joey Janela. Which, as fucked up as this sounds, and if you had told me in the beginning of 2023, I would be uttering the statement that since his return, a, the best Abushi has looked is against Joey Janela. I'd have told you that you're insane and I must be drunk when I utter that sentence. Um, I am not drunk. But that's, that's the best he's looked. And I, I hope it's just an issue of ring rust and that if he can just get some, some steady time and steady matches. He can get back into kind of the shape that we're used to seeing him in and the wrestling that we're used to seeing him in. And if not, hey, father time comes for everybody and you want to stay the weight that you're at, I've got no problem with that. Just change your style. Be more of a Shinji Hashimoto, ground and pounder, just kick the shit out of people, slap the shit out of people and do, and do moves like that and not try to reclaim your 2017 youth of, of doing dives. Well, I'm hoping that he can be reunited with Kenny for a sustained run. So I can bring back the old Jcast favorite segment of uh, Joel treating backstage rumor and innuendo and storylines as um, <laughs> verifiable facts in uh, shipping <laughs> two wrestlers in a relationship <laughs> or whatever that was called. Oh my God. Yeah. That was my finest hour. <laughs> that was, that was good. No. And yeah, ultimately I, that's what, that's what, not the shipping part, but yeah, if, 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 if we, if we could get like a nice sustained proper GL tag run in AEW, I got no problem with that. And who knows, maybe, maybe we'll get that after Kenny's done with Takeshita. Um, uh, culminating in a huge match with Aussie Open. Yeah. And they'll... That, that's the main event at Wembley next year. And, and then everyone can say, ha, we told you, Joel, you were wrong. And then Abushi can, you know, can pin um, Fletcher for the win. And then after uh, Audrey, is it Audrey Edwards? Aubrey Edwards? After she, she counts three... And then to keep the shipping part of it going, uh, Kenny and Ibushi can make out on top of, of Fletcher. There you go, Kenny. You can have that one for free. And, and that would make everybody happy. And then in the interim, maybe Ibushi can, you know, we'll get at Wrestle Dream. Is it Wrestle Dream? Wrestle Appropriation? What? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever Tony's calling this show that will probably not have any New Japan talent on it. Um, yeah, just just give me Ibushi against Hologram Anoki. Make that the Emmy. Easy. Please. Book it. Book it. You heard it here first. All right, Booze. Um, that's all I have to say. Anything else you want to discuss? Any plugs before we wrap it up? No, I'm good. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, an absolute pleasure, as always, to talk to you. Thank you so much for stepping in. Um, great show, even though when I started, so the kids are running around screaming, I've got no microphone thinking, what the fuck is this going to sound like? Hopefully, all right. I've had a good time here. Anyway, uh, it's time for me to go to bed, so I'm going to wrap it up here. Redcircle.com forward slash shows forward slash super dash j dash cast. If you want to uh, give some money for this uh, absolute tripe we uh, serve up every week, that is where you can go. A Discord link you can get if you send me a direct message on Twitter. 
at Cobra Kawaii and ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash SuperJCast for our great t-shirts. Thank you to Editor Dan. You can find him at LousyHero219 on Twitter. Subscribe to the Voices of Wrestling podcast network for other great shows. Give us a five-snake review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at the SuperJCast. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and goodbye. My name's Neil David and I'm the host of Eurograps Express, the podcast exclusively dedicated to the wrestling of Europe. If it's wrestling and it happens in Europe and it's good, we talk about it. Whether it's RevPro, Progress, WXW, Passion Pro, Pro Wrestling Chaos, Pro Wrestling North, we don't care, we talk about them all. If it's good and it's exciting, I want to share it with you. We're on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Check us out on the feed. Check us out on Twitter at EuroGrapsEXP. And join us for chat about European wrestling and a little bit of chat about cheese. Hopefully see you there.